following presentation of the Midland City Planning Commission will begin in a moment. The Midland City Planning Commission is responsible for overseeing the city's master plan, conducting public hearings, and offering recommendations to the City Council on a wide range of local land use issues. The Planning Commission consists of nine Midland residents who are appointed by the City Council. Planning Commission meets two Tuesdays per month at 7 p.m. in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on AT&T or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission taking place on Tuesday, December 13th. This meeting is called to order. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Please call roll. Fields? Dr. Here. Mayville? Here. Bain? Here. Panasic? McCoy? Here. Broderick? Here. Bollinger? Here. Gray? Mr. Cherry of a quorum. Thank you very much. First item on our agenda this evening is approval of the minutes. Uh, first minutes on the agenda are the special meeting on November 16th of 2022. I move we approve the meeting, the minutes from the special meeting of November 16th, 22. I have a motion. I'll second. I have a motion from Commissioner Broderick and a second from Commissioner Mayville to approve the meeting, special meeting minutes on November 16th. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. Those minutes are approved. Next of minutes to approve are those from our regular meeting also on November 16th. I motion we approve the regular, the, the minutes from the regular meeting on November 16th, 22. Thank you. I'll second as well. I have a motion from Commissioner Broderick and a second for Commissioner Mayville to uh, approve the mi regular meeting minutes of November 16th. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. Those minutes are approved as well. Next item on our agenda is uh, our public hearings, um, of which we have five this evening. Um, as we get started, a quick reminder about the public hearing process. We'll begin with a staff presentation and overview of the petition. We will then provide the opportunity for the petitioner to come up and present. We will then open it for public comments or questions. We will then provide the opportunity for the petitioner to provide final comments or rebuttal. Then we will close the public hearing and deliberate and decide by the Planning Commission after that. So with that, we'll start with our first public hearing, and that is zoning petition number 647. This zoning petition is initiated by the City of Midland. Uh, this is for multiple properties that are located roughly north and east of US 10 along Waldo Avenue. Uh, it's a total of 98.2 acres for all of the parcels that are impacted by the proposed zoning petition. 
Currently, these parcels are not zoned and the proposed zoning varies. And so I'll go through that information in just a bit more detail. So we have five different parcels of land that are proposed as part of this zoning petition tonight. Um, I'm just gonna go from the top and run down. So the first is 3401 East Wheeler. This is a property that's owned by the J.A. Rapanis Family Trust, number one. It's 32.14 acres in size. A part of this property is currently zoned uh, regional commercial. Um, the remainder is unzoned. Um, I should back up and note the five properties in question were all annexed into the city of Midland in 2015. Subsequently, in accordance with our zoning ordinance, uh, city zoning should be applied within two years. Uh, that's happened for some properties in this area that were annexed at the same time. However, um, the properties in front of you tonight were not zoned at that time. Subsequent to the annexation, these properties no longer appear on the Midland Township zoning map. And so typically, at the time of annexation, a property will remain on its uh, prior township zoning map until such time as the city applies zoning. In this case, that didn't happen. So these properties are currently unzoned. So the unzoned portion of 3401 East Wheeler, uh, the proposed zoning is OS Office Service. For 5101 Waldo Avenue, this would be the property that is uh, sort of tucked into the south corner. Uh, this is west of Waldo Avenue and north of US 10. The property owner is Michael J. Rapanis. The area is 17.95 acres. The proposed zoning is RC Regional Commercial. The next property is 5301 Waldo Avenue. This is the next property to the north. It's owned by Big Timber Limited. Site area is just shy of, or just over nine and a half acres. The proposed zoning is RB Multiple Family Residential. The next property to the north is 5401 Waldo Avenue. It's under the same ownership as 5301 Waldo Avenue. It's just shy of 13 acres in size and the proposed zoning is also RB multiple family residential. And finally, the final property in question tonight is 5901 Waldo Avenue. This property is owned by Christian Celebration Center. It's just over 25 acres in size and the proposed zoning is community. So on the screen, you'll see a map of the properties that are impacted by this zoning petition. Uh, the property on the east side of Waldo Avenue is the largest of the properties that's subject to the zoning petition tonight. And that is the property that is already currently uh, partially zoned with city zoning. The remaining parcels are all located on the, uh, I'm sorry, on the west side of Waldo Avenue and south of Diamond Drive. We can zoom in just a little bit and you'll see that uh, generally speaking, these are vacant properties. So there's no development currently on these sites. Uh, these are all properties that are um, ripe for development though, given their location along US 10. Future land use in the area um, is a bit uh, diverse. So we've got commercial future land use primarily near um, the interchange with US 10. Moving out, we have medium uh, density residential to the north and east, high density residential to the north and west. And then we move into that lighter yellow category, which is not labeled to the north, but you'll see there is a label to the um, south and west that is a low density residential category. Looking at current zoning, uh, as you might expect, given that most of these properties are not currently zoned, there's not much to see in the immediate vicinity other than the portion of 3401 East Wheeler, which does have a regional commercial designation. Properties to the north, we have residential B zoning uh, and the location of the Primrose um, Senior Housing Development. We have an RE2 designation for the properties that are located to its north and east. And we have an RE3 designation north of Diamond Drive uh, where we have some single family detached site condominiums that have been developed in recent years. 
Gonna run really quickly through the proposed zoning districts and their intent. As you're all aware, regional commercial is intended to provide the most intense and vehicle-oriented commercial uses in the city. They are intended to primarily service not only the city and the immediate neighborhoods, but also the greater region. Uh, because of their intensity, regional commercial uses are typically located on major or minor thoroughfares and are typically buffered from residential uses. Some of the uses that are permitted in regional commercial include those shown on the screen. The next district is office service. Office service is intended to provide for administrative and professional services, personal service businesses, and supporting retail uses. Office service is often used as a transitional district between uh, more intensive commercial uses and lower intensity single family residential uses. Some of the uses permitted in the office district, office service district include those shown on the screen. Residential B is the city's multiple family residential district and it's intended to provide for the varied housing needs of the community by providing for attached housing at a higher density than is otherwise permitted in the city's RA residential districts. Um, these are often also used similar to office service as a transitional zone between single family residential development and more intensive zoning districts. And as you'll see on the screen here are some of the example permitted uses within residential B which includes single two and multiple family dwellings as well as some of the affiliate uses that you'll often see in a residential context like schools, parks, etc. Finally, Community zoning is proposed for one parcel in tonight's zoning petition, and this is a bit of a unique district. It's intended for special public, quasi-public, or private uses that are deemed to have special community significance. And you'll see that reflected in the permitted uses in that district, colleges and universities, community centers, public and private libraries, hospitals, and places of worship. Running quickly through the review criteria, is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan? Staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning designations are consistent with the future land use designations as depicted on the city's future land use map. Will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? Staff's answer is yes. And given that the properties are currently vacant, there is an opportunity for these properties to be, to be developed appropriately under the rules and regulations associated with each proposed district. Three have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted to justify the amendment and staff's answer is yes. Due to the annexation from Midland Township into the city of Midland and uh, assignment of zoning districts is necessary. Will the amendment merely grant special privileges? Staff's answer is no because the proposed zoning is consistent with the zoning of surrounding properties. Will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? Again, staff's answer is no. Will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? Staff's answer is no, because the proposed amendment aligns with the city's master plan. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classifications of surrounding land? Staff's answer is yes, the proposed zoning is in line with the zoning classifications of surrounding land. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of the surrounding land in the city master plan? Staff's answer is yes. Um, just to clarify, the future land use map does provide for more intensive development near US 10, and that intensity does decrease as you move towards the north and east away from the highway. And so the proposed zoning package before you tonight reflects that intent of providing greater intensities near the interstate and reduced intensities as you move towards the north and east. 
Could all requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject parcels? Staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning is organized in a manner that will facilitate compliant development that meets the city zoning standards. And finally, is the proposed zoning consistent with trends of land development in the general vicinity of the property in question? Staff's answer is yes. We've had recent development in this area, uh, both detached and attached housing. The proposed mix of uses, including community, commercial, and office services, will provide the necessary neighborhood-level services as well as regional services to continue servicing this area in the future. We've received no public comments to date on this petition. I will note that staff has worked with the property owners impacted by the zoning petition to ensure their support with the districts that have been proposed tonight. So with that, staff's recommendation is approval of zoning petition number 647. Uh, based on the following. The proposed zoning is consistent with the city's future land use map. The proposed zoning supports goals of the city's master plan. The proposed zoning will facilitate development that is consistent with the pattern and use of development in the general vicinity. And assignment of city zoning designations is necessary given that the property was annexed into the city of Midland in 2014. So with that, we are at the first step in the process of consideration for the zoning petition with your public hearing tonight and I would welcome any questions from the Planning Commission, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Questions, Commissioners? Greg? Uh, yes, uh, 3401 East Wheeler, that large lot. Some of it's uh, already zoned regional commercial. Uh, the office service proposed, is that gonna replace the regional commercial and make the entire lot office service, or is there gonna be a split? Great question. The office service zoning designation is proposed for the on-zone portion of the parcel. Okay. So the regional commercial designation would stay as it currently exists and office, office service rather would be applied to the remainder. Okay. Thank you. A uh, similar question, because um, on the feature land use map that's currently yellow, which I think is medium density residential, correct? That's correct. Um, we don't have obviously office service on the feature land use map. so. Um, I'm just curious if you could tell me more about why office service versus anything else. Sure. So we do have an office um, service future land use designation. Um, it, there is not an office service future land use designation on this property. Okay. Um, office service has a lot in common with some of our medium density residential categories um, in that it does allow for housing as well as some of the personal services and professional offices that office service also allows. So in consultation with the property owner, um, the, the desire was really twofold. One was to provide for an appropriate transition as the um, land uses moved north and became less intense, uh, which there are multiple zoning districts that could provide for that transition. And two, to provide for some flexibility, um, knowing that this area is um, still largely undeveloped to see what the market will bear. And an office service designation does provide for that flexibility that a residential designation would not otherwise provide. Okay. Because also I noticed in the staff report, I mean, it said that the uh, designations were all consistent with the master plan. So, um, I mean, going back to that map, the triangle of land that's to the uh, west of Waldo Avenue and north of 10, um, that's gonna be regional commercial, which is in line. The two parcels to the north would be uh, multiple family residential, which would be in line. And then the furthest north is that community, community, right? Which we didn't have anything designated, correct? Right, and you typically won't find community designated somewhere where there's not already a community use in place. 
Um, given that that property is owned by a place of worship and their intent is to perhaps someday build a new place of worship on the property in consultation again with them, there are multiple districts that would permit that development. Um, community ultimately uh, with staff's recommendation um, to the owner as the best fit for the potential use. Okay, thank you. Other questions? All right, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll go ahead and invite the petitioner to present if they are here. I'm the petitioner. Oh, sorry, thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else to add. We'll do uh, public comments now, either in support or opposition. If you have questions as well, we'd welcome them at this time. Do I have to get up or can I just say from here? We do need you. It's a public meeting, so. Oh, Okay. Uh, yeah, we do. It's a public meeting, so we need people on camera. We need to pick you up at the mics there. So um, any public comments tonight, um, we'll need you on the blue mat, and we'll need a name and address from you as well. And this will be the last opportunity for the public to comment on this petition. Any public comments, either in support or opposition, or any questions as well? Hearing none. Uh, I know now that uh, I believe the petitioner will not have any rebuttal and final comments. <laughs> uh, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing for the zoning petition number 647 and go into deliberation and decision by the Planning Commission. Comments, commissioners? It looks pretty much in alignment for uh, at least what we're guessing for uh, this area to go and with consultation with you know, landowners, I think it's appropriate way to go at this point. Uh, I'm supportive of going in this direction right now based on what we know. Yeah. Well, Jacob answered my one question already. Is that has he been working with the property owners? And the answer is yes. So I'm, I'm fine with this. All right. I'm looking for a motion unless anybody else has their comments. These are ultimately all recommendations for to City Council for yeah. approval. Yeah, I'll, uh, James Bain, I'll move. We recommend zoning petition 647 for approval to the City Council. I'll second. We have a motion from Commissioner Bain and a second from Commissioner McCoy to <coughs> approve or recommend approval of zoning petition number 647 to the City Council. Were there any contingencies with this one? Uh, there were not, no. Okay. Uh, will you please call roll? Decker? Yes. Mayville? Yes. Bain? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Roderick? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. Mr. Chair, that's adopted six to zero. Thank you. And their next date is? Uh, this will go to City Council Monday night to set up a public hearing for January the 9th. Next item on our agenda is a public hearing for a tentative preliminary plat initiated by MLR Engineering uh, for an area located at 5600 Falcon Way. And we will start with the staff presentation. And then again, we'll invite the petitioner to present and then we will welcome public comments on this tentative preliminary plat before providing the opportunity for the petitioner to come back up and provide final comments and rebuttal and then closing the public hearing and possible deliberation. Go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Proposal tonight for tentative preliminary plat comes to you from MLR Engineering on behalf of Hawksview LLC. Property in question is located at 57, or sorry, 5600 Falcon Way. 
properties located in the city's RA1 single family residential zoning district. And the plat is a 25 lot plat uh, that's proposed to be called Hawks Nest 2. Tentative, I'm sorry, preliminary plat review involves two steps. Uh, tentative preliminary plat review is a review, essentially a conceptual review of the proposed plat layout. Um, it includes the general details that are necessary to understand what's proposed, but it excludes some of the detailed engineering um, information that is included in our next step. This is also a level of plat that's not subject to outside review beyond the city. So typically when we move into the next step in this process, which is final preliminary plat review, we begin consulting with other outside authorities on the project and we also get more engineering details. So we're looking at step one, tentative preliminary plat tonight, a recommendation to city council. Upon city council approval, uh, submittal of a final preliminary plat review to the planning commission with another recommendation forward to city council for their consideration. Subject properties are located west of Dublin Avenue and west of an existing development that's known as Hawks Nest Number One. Um, the uh, area of the subject property is highlighted in yellow on the screen. It is currently vacant land. Just zooming in a bit more, you'll see that the existing Hawks Nest One development includes two streets, Falcon Way and Redtail Lane. Um, that terminate into this property and the applicants proposed tentative preliminary plat would connect to those stub streets to provide for access to the proposed 25 lot development. As I noted previously, the subject property is located in the RA1 zoning district, which is the same zoning as the properties to the east and west of the subject property. Properties located north and west of the subject property are located in Homer Township. On the screen, you'll see the proposed uh, tentative preliminary plat for Hawks Nest 2. I'm gonna jump a slide just to sort of gray out the areas that are not part of tonight's proposed preliminary plat. So it's just the area between those two gray boxes. Those 25 lots constitute Hawks Nest 2. You'll see that those lots do take access from the two terminated streets from Hawks Nest 1. The development as proposed would also provide for two new stubs to the west to facilitate connection to future phases of this development, which would include vehicular connection to the south of Countryside Drive. Tentative preliminary plats are subject to several review criteria, and so your basis for action tonight um, should be premised on the applicant's successful uh, meeting of these criteria. And I'm gonna run through these just really quickly in terms of some areas where we have noted some um, issues that can be addressed during the final uh, preliminary plat review. And so one of those is that obviously stormwater is a uh, ever-present concern and the stormwater detention system for the property will need to be designed and constructed in accordance with city specifications. The applicant has indicated that there is existing capacity within the phase one stormwater facility to provide for appropriate drainage for the proposed 25 lots. Uh, the permitting process that takes place after uh, tentative preliminary plat will enable us to confirm um, that that capacity exists. A subdivision contract for detention access and maintenance will also be necessary um, to be executed between the developer and the city. The tentative, the final preliminary plat should provide backyard drainage. Um, that's one of the engineering details that will need to be added as we move into final preliminary plat. All water and sanitary sewer utilities will need to be designed and constructed in accordance with city standards. 
The location, access, and flow of any proposed fire hydrants and water services will need to be in accordance with city specifications. Specific to the design of this tentative preliminary plat, appropriate turnarounds will need to be provided on Red Tail Lane and Barn Owl Drive if any lots um, that are adjacent to those streets take driveway access from those streets. So we'll need to determine whether or not driveway access is gonna be provided and then during the period uh, preceding what we would presume will be a Hawk's Nest 3 development, uh, we would need to provide for appropriate turnaround access for um, city garbage trucks uh, and fire trucks. And then finally, soil erosion and sedimentation control permits will be required as well as a notice of coverage permit from Eagle. And as I noted, these items are appropriately addressed during final preliminary plat review and approval. So no action in terms of contingencies is necessary tonight on behalf of the Planning Commission to entertain a motion to approve. And that is staff's recommendation that the Planning Commission re recommend that City Council approve the tentative preliminary plat. We've received no public comments to date on the proposed tentative preliminary plat. And we are in the first of two steps with this process. So following your uh, public hearing tonight, should you make a recommendation, this tentative preliminary plat will go to city council for their consideration on December the 19th. Mr. Chair, I welcome any questions. Yes, I have uh, just a couple, uh, and they, they relate to when I was driving by the properties that have been developed, you know, they're, they've been raised and they're pretty flat. And you look down, you know, uh, you know the, they obviously haven't been lifted up. But uh, is that in a floodplain? It's not located in a floodplain. It's not in a floodplain, but there is a part that's uh, uh, located near a wetland then? There is a delineated wetland um, that staff noted in, in our staff report um, at the back corner of two of the lots within the proposed plat. And then it looks like there's lots of drainage and stuff, but not outside the property we're considering that, correct? Those other drainage elements yeah. are outside of the property right. under consideration tonight, yes. Okay. They're, they're beyond the limits of this proposed tentative plan. I mean, plan. conceptually, I don't think I have any uh, questions at this point then, other than what I've just asked. And that's the key for our purposes tonight. It's just a conceptual review, and we'll get additional detail from other agencies, including Eagle. Okay. Go yeah, ahead. it seems uh, conceptually okay, but uh, I, the re based on the resolution of what we were given, I can't tell what e elevations are. Uh, in this area, and I had questions along as Commissioner Bain did, uh, but he's already brought that up, whether going on in the future, you know, if this goes to final approval and gets developed, uh, what are we looking at for elevations, potential, um, you know, flooding in the future and things like that. So I know we're not at that point right now. Is there a question? Or not, a, not, any, not any more question, just a concern for further review for later on, needing more details on elevations. Absolutely. Other questions? All right, thank you. Uh, we'll go ahead and invite the petitioner to present. Just a blue mat, name and address, please. Good evening, my name is Mike Rubicki with MLR Engineering, uh, 134 South Main, Freeland, Michigan. I'm um, here representing Hawksview LLC. With me in the audience tonight is uh, David Shaman from Hawksview as well. Uh, questions become over my pay grade. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a conceptual layout. We're, we're excited to take that next step and put some of the final engineering and details to it to answer some of the questions that always come up conceptually uh, that just aren't, uh, aren't developed yet as far as those, uh, those answers. But uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Questions for the applicant? All right, thank you. Thank you. Well, now I'm going to open the public comment portion. We'd welcome any public comments or questions. Public comments or questions. Just need you to step up to the blue mat. Hello. Hello. Sherry, working team, currently live at 5411 Falcon Way. Um, it's my first time involved in one of these, so I'm not sure. Um, will there be opportunity after there's more details for public comment, or is this our only opportunity for public comment? The final preliminary plat submittal will also be a public hearing process. So if you received a public hearing notice for this plat, assuming you don't move between now and then, you would also receive a notice for the next public hearing. Okay. And have the opportunity to comment. Thank you. And just some, you know, ahead of the game, some concerns being access for emergency vehicles, you know, adding that many more houses. And we just currently have one outlet from the subdivision to Dublin. So having that road connection to country, countryside, country way would be um, important. And then obviously the discussion about utilities and sewer um, you know, added impact on those utilities for the existing subdivision would be obviously a concern, so. Okay, thank you. Other public comments or questions? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're welcome to come and queue up Uh, my name is John Goddard, uh, 5402 Falcon Way. My property does not abut the uh, planned area. I'm about uh, three properties east of there. I have uh, a few concerns. Uh, she had already mentioned some of them, so I don't want to get too far ahead, you know, say, to put the cart before the horse. I am concerned with the amount of traffic that's going to be on Falcon Way, particularly the construction traffic. We have lived in a construction site for five years. We were one of the first people in there. And I have been shown very little respect by a lot of the contractors. Uh, debris blowing over into the woods. I still have plastic in a tree behind the house that is blown in. Uh, you mentioned now another access road from countryside. Is that going to be considered for construction traffic initially? I don't know. Uh, these are things I just have some questions about. I also have a, consider a concern about the sanit the excuse me the uh, storm system. Uh, right now, this last year it was a drought, we didn't have a lot of heavy rain. But the year before, in those deluges we would get, the water was actually blowing up out of the catch basins, actually lifting the grading up, my neighbor told me. In front of my house, the, water, the street is just filled with a sandy slime. And it went down almost immediately as, as the rain let up. But there is a problem with the sanitary, excuse me, the storm sewers farther downstream on Falcon Way. Uh, I don't know what's supposed to go into this retention area, but I have, in five years, almost six years, I've never seen water in it. But I think that needs to be looked at. And those are my concerns. I, I'm just really concerned mostly about just another how many years of construction traffic, loaded cement mixers, you know, 
tandem, uh, tandem trailer dump trucks coming by. I don't think we'll see any uh, excavators caterpillaring on their tracks down the street like we did before. But this is the thing that concerns me. So, Thank okay. you, John. Thank you. Good evening, uh, Jason Ugardashe. I'm at uh, 5410 Falcon Way. Um, actually, butted up next to uh, the proposed location. Um, most of my concerns stem from, as kind of everybody else has said, the traffic. Uh, specifically, having one access out on Dublin Road. I um, would invite you to come um, stand outside in the morning or a typical afternoon around kids getting on and off the bus. A lot of families are parking on both sides of the road. A lot of kids running around. If we're going to be adding more. Um, residences, there's going to be more kids there and much more traffic as well. So um, one of the other big things is our neighborhood does not have any sort of street signs. So no yield, stops, anything along those lines. If we're going to be adding extra traffic to uh, the location, that may, might be something um, that should be considered uh, in, the, in the project. Um, another item is, I would say, is, as John mentioned, enforcement of soil erosion and sediment control uh, plans. We had large piles of um, excavated fill or dirt that would sit out, were never covered, uh, planted with grass or anything like that. And then those, um, if any winds came out of the south, were blowing them right into the houses. So layers of dirt and dust on siding, vehicles, getting in inside garages. Just it was kind of a, a constant theme. You could watch it billowing up off of the uh, off of the excavated piles left out there. So just some free consideration. We're a neighborhood that sticks together, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Cheryl Rome, and I also am at 5402 Falcon Way. I have a few concerns, and they all relate to three things, um, access, cost, and quality. First, access. Is there going to be a temporary road for the construction traffic to do their thing building these new lots because we do have a lot of traffic on Falcon Way and heavy machinery is not kind to roads, I've discovered. <laughs> okay, so it would be um, probably better if they had their own temporary access area. From my understanding, most construction companies do this. Instead of using the main roads, they build their own little access area, so I'd prefer that. Uh, another issue that I have is once Falcon Way is used, <clears throat> excuse me, as I've told my neighbors, as the new boulevard, because we will have not only residents, but we will have uh, delivery services such as FedEx, Amazon, uh, we will have nannies coming up and down, dog walkers coming through during the day walking people's dogs. It's just what goes on in the neighborhood now, and I'm expecting a little bit of the same, okay? So in that way, it's a crowded area, and to have any construction uh, vehicles around would even add to that, that area. We also, I don't understand this whole thing about using Falcon Way as the main drag. It, it seems as if in your plans, Red Tail comes out and Falcon Way come out, comes out. But no, Red Tail actually comes into Falcon Way, so everything's routed through Falcon Way. So there's a concern on my part about our young children. 
we have little boys. We've got one little guy. He's learning how to, I guess, use his, his two-wheeler. And he goes into the street, and of course, we're all cognizant of him, but with the increase of traffic and children playing, or, you know, somebody kicks a ball out in the street, whatever, you know, it, it's a safety issue. Uh, I myself, I'm on a downhill slide, okay. I mean, I may not be here tomorrow at my age, but <laughs> still, we do have children, and I think we should be concerned about their safety, really. So these are actually, were my concerns. Um, and of course, my biggest concern, no, not the biggest concern, but a concern too is once we have all this traffic on Falcon Way and you're going to sell your home, a high traffic area is not conducive to getting a good price or a quick sale, unless of course the real estate market is so bonkers that, you know. So these are all concerns and I wanna thank everybody for listening and wish everybody a happy holiday season. Thank you, Kurt Cheryl. Other public comments or questions? Hello, my name's Teresa Dot, and I've been here before on the first part of Hawk's Nest. I've lived here on this road, on Dub I live on Dublin Avenue, and I've lived there all my life, I'm in my 60s. And I've seen this, I know what these people are going through. This is ridiculous. This plan should have never been put through in the first place. It was poorly thought out. They were saying in the beginning, you can't get out over the rail trail. Now, that's the only other way to go other than countryside. And countryside has picked up enough traffic, from what I can see, to go through to Sugna, and you've got Dublin coming you know, smack into the middle of it. I lived on Dublin when it was a gravel road. <laughs> it wasn't even nothing. And um, matter of fact, the person that owned that property, Tim Lyons, lived on the other side of Dublin that's all constructed now towards Wackerley. There was a dead end down there. It was a dead end road. It wasn't even through. But my biggest problem is, you know, I'm listening to these people. I feel bad for them. They knew this was going to happen. You know, this was all about money. They, these guys became millionaires after this, and I'm sure Shaman's here tonight. I don't know what he looks like anymore. I ran into him one time after this happened. They come in and they overstepped the boundaries when they first put in the first part of Hawk's Nest and cut down over 450 of my trees. Oh, it's an accident, no, you know. There was survey stakes run over. I had to take it to court. I never got recompensated for any of that money. I spent thousands of dollars. These guys are ridiculous. And they don't care what happens to these people. They just want money. That's all they know about. And what I'm concerned about now on my part, when this was put in, this was filled. This gentleman here was saying there wasn't much fill brought in or however you put that. They brought in thousands and thousands of tons of fill. This land has been filled so much, it's ridiculous. It was wet. It was a whole wet low area. It's lower than my area. And I'm right to the south of Hawk's Nest. I have probably over 25 acres of land. And I think I only got my land destroyed because they wanted it and I wouldn't. They never come to me and said, how much would you sell it for? Oh no, let's just go in and you know, threaten her. These guys are mean. <laughs> They're not nice. All I can say is, I don't know what's going to happen when they bring more houses in. We have trouble with water. That's another thing, water pressure. I lived on Dublin. We waited to get city water. We were in a Mugus, um, Muga area, the Muga line. And it took them, I don't know how many years until I, I think it was probably 30 years before we got water. 
And my dad sat on the Homer Township board and helped him get water. Well, he passed away before the water even came, and we got, you know, annexed into the city of Midland in 96, I think it was, and we got city water. And we had lots of pressure. I have a one-inch line. I don't know what, what these houses have, maybe half-inch or... All I know is in the summertime when they start watering the lawns, it drains our water right down. We don't have hardly any pressure. And I thought, well, what's this all about? And it's always around, you know, those dry, hot summer days. So they got to do something about the water before. That's what I'm thinking is they have to go through and take a look at really all the sanitary sewer, the water, the drainage, everything. We're all that's going to, you know, what's going to affect. And where is that? Uh, where's their drainage go to? Is it a holding pond or is it into the rose drain? Because the rose drain circles around and comes out in front of my place. And then we had that river, you know, the flooding. Oh, it's a whole nother thing, too. When the flooding went on, you like that lady said, where are they going to go out? Where are they going to... That was just nothing but a herd of cattle because you got the other sub subdivision, Vandermeer. You got that one down there to the well, Plum Tree Lane and Vandermeer. It's down to the south, south of my place, yeah. And then you got, um, I'm right in the middle. And then you got Hawk's Nest to the north of me. And we get surrounded by these people. We couldn't even get out the driveway when this, the flood came. And I thought, this is ridiculous. But it's just too many people. I think you're packing in two. And I thought there was only supposed to be 25 homes in the first 25 acres. And I believe there's over that right now. I stopped counting. I've been counting and watching. We've got um, trail cam pictures of how much fill was brought in. I mean, this was, it cost us a lot of money to do all this to watch all this because of the only reason I did because of the damage that happened to our property from these people. So the people that started this subdivision, it was just nothing but a nightmare. And I'm still, still going through, I mean, that was back in 2011 when this happened to me from them. But um, I don't know, it's just been nothing but a nightmare. But I still think there's too many things, like she said too, people walking dogs and then you got, oh, that's a nightmare. In itself, the buses, the bus traffic, um, yeah, that's a lot of the, you know, there's just a lot of people, like you're saying, it's getting really big congested, so got to take a look at all that. But thanks a lot for, you know, it's just, I have a hard time with this because it's so upsetting what happened to me and the money I spent, and <laughs> it's ridiculous what I went through, but, well, thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Mm -hmm. Good evening. My name is Judy Timmons. I live at 5511 Red Tail Lane. And so when I was looking at my lot when I first decided I was going to build in this area, I chose my specific lot based on what I was told in terms of the development of the land directly behind my house. And so what I was told and led to believe that there would be construction to the left of me and at the end of Red Tail Lane and the same at the end of Falcon Lane. Um, but nothing behind my house. And so much to my surprise when I received this, you know, this temporary uh, uh, preliminary plat, I'm going, wait a minute, what, how can this be? Um, and in fact, I, I looked at the property, uh, or, or at, back in November, I believe it was, uh, when you also looked at what was supposedly Hawk's Nest 2, Phase 2 and 3, 
which was a totally different section. And again, it, it, it went along with what I was told. Uh, that was to be phase two and three. And even so, as I saw and realized, okay, that's what I was told. And yes, there's another phase four to the right of me. And yes, unbelievably to me, I learned that there was a phase five that did follow behind my house. Um, but given my age, uh, I built this home thinking it would be my forever home and that that phase five would not happen until I was probably gone. And so I, it was no, no concern to me. So again, my concern is just that I don't understand how this changed from the way they developed or, or decided to change from phase two uh, to now phase two is directly behind my house, which was you know, supposed to be phase five. Um, there's also a, a, an area, so the other thing I looked at, because I was concerned about that, and I love the fact that there's woods directly behind my house. It's very quiet and peaceful. Um, and there was also an area of wetlands behind my house as I walked the property beyond it and went, okay, and looked it up, looked at the count of uh, the uh, covenants for hawk's nest and saw that, yes, indeed, there was uh, notations about wetlands and how construction could not ha happen, basically, in wetland areas. And so when I looked at the map and I saw this big wetland or, or pond, whatever you want to call it, directly behind my house, I thought, I don't have a problem. They can't build back there. So I guess I just wanted to make known that I, I'm very disappointed uh, that all of a sudden now I'm going to have a whole another sub. And, and I guess what I would also wonder is if, uh, so I have a couple of actually questions. So why was the, the phase two changed from the pr previous preliminary plat? Um, and, and when was that made? I was not even aware that that happened. Uh, what recourse do I have? Um, you know, after being led to believe that there wouldn't be any development, now there, all of a sudden there's going to be. Uh, are there any steps that I could take uh, to challenge that development? As a citizen, I don't know. I'm here with, uh, for this public hearing because I want to make sure I, I at least have that uh, uh, be, you know, being able to um, let you know and comment. I appreciate that. Um, and, and isn't it, and I, I shared some of the same views that others in our neighborhood have uh, mentioned about, you know, whether, is it, isn't it prudent for neighbors to have more than one access uh, street? So again, Hawks Nest only has from Dublin Road. So for some reason, if that were to be cut off, we would actually be landlocked, if you will, and not be able to get out. Um, so again, that's, uh, will that be accessible uh, by Dublin Road? Is there going to be another access route? Those are questions that I have and concerns. So I thank you. Thank you, Judy. Hi, I'm Tom Workentine. I uh, live at 5411 Falcon Way, plot number 17 on this engineering map. I'd like to talk to you about three things, timing, spacing, and money or, or value, market values of housing, housing properties. Timing-wise, I haven't heard anything yet on timing, so I'd like to know, does that all, timing of construction, timing of development, does that all come into the 
uh, final preliminary review, or is that something we can talk about tonight with the rebuttal? Uh, spacing. Uh, there's been some discussion about spacing. Judy just mentioned some things. I noticed that the housing, the, the width of the properties is narrower in, in the plat, in this new plat. Uh, the middle eight properties are taking up the same space as the middle seven properties that are currently on Redtail. And I'd like to know, I mean, maybe it comes to the, the, the discussion about uh, maybe frank discussion about trying to make money. Is this a, a money-making situation or is there some other reason why they have to be smaller properties? Uh, are the houses being built on those properties, which already seem tight with our seven properties in that zone, it already seems tight from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor. Uh, is that gonna be even tighter when you go to eight properties in that same spacing? Related to spacing on the back of our property and everybody can attest to this that drives up Falcon Way and around Redtail. There's a beautiful line of maples today, gorgeous in the fall. Uh, oak trees that are just mammoth and towering there. My concern is that these, proper, th these trees that we're talking about are right on the property line. Uh, as you know, root systems don't follow right on the property line. And when you get into a tighter spacing of these properties, there's a potential also that some of these gorgeous trees, maybe all those gorgeous trees, could be affected in a negative way and come down. Uh, thinking more solution ways, or maybe it's part of the preliminary plat discussion, is it possible to leave a little space there in the back of the property so that those trees are protected to give, we all, and you can tell there's a lot of energy and a lot of positivity in, in our neighborhood. We are concerned about people. We treat people with respect. There's a lot of fun activities going on with little kids in our neighborhood, et cetera. We'd like to keep that same family, uh, same neighborhood feeling going. And I think part of that beauty that's represented by the trees in the back of our properties uh, are part of that beautification, part of that family atmosphere that we have. We have an easement in the back of our property that butts right up against this plat. And that easement says we can't do anything in that. It's for utilities, et cetera. Uh, that protects trees, I think, in that area on our side of the property line. I don't know if there's anything like that on the other side. It's not shown on the preliminary plat. I'd like to see if there's something protecting that space on the other side of that uh, preliminary plat. Uh, the last one is around, comment is around market values. And I think this was brought up earlier as well. Uh, if these, um, we know that there's potential for expansion. We want to keep the nice neighborhood look and feel that we have today. Um, are these smaller properties then going to have different value, smaller value potentially uh, put into it that could affect the property values that already exist for the people that did their pre-planning and tried to figure out where they wanted to live for their forever homes? I think that's all the comments I have. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Other public comments? Appreciate everyone continuing to direct comments and questions to us as planning commission as well. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm Ruth Pierce, and I live at 5520 Red Tail Lane. 
So I'm the last unit on Red Tail Lane as we go into this new area. Um, and my, my concern is the same as all the others. I mean, I, I'm really concerned about one entrance into our place. Um, and I know when we were told, were we here three years ago to the, um, to the board meeting, um, that they were gonna come in from uh, countryside. And uh, it doesn't look like that is the plan on, on this proposal, but so all the construction traffic and everything's gonna go right by our place and through our place. And, um, and we have been living uh, in construction zone for five years, trying to dodge all this heavy equipment. And being the last unit on our street, we have also had everybody wanting to turn around in our driveway and ruining our driveway. Um, so may, I guess with the new street, it'll go through and around, but there's, there's still, it's, it's just an awful lot. And I get concerned there's no kind of little park area, common area. Uh, what are dog walkers supposed to do when all this other area is gone? Yeah, they use the wetlands. We have some on, within our property, within our lot line. Um, and, and they get used for that. And I'm not really happy about that because that's really my property. But what do we do? Um, and then all the kids and people walking and people who park their vehicles on the street, it's just um, really going to be really, really tough. Um, I think that's, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Yeah, my name's Solomon Pierce. I work or live at 5520 Red Tail Lane. And I agree with all the concerns that have been brought up so far. The additional one I have is, now who's the builder? I mean, what's the quality of the construction of these homes? This lousy construction or cheap construction is going to bring down the value of our homes. And given smaller lots, I have a hunch maybe it's going to be lower quality. I don't know. So that's something I'd like to find out. Who's, do you know who the builder is? Or? We don't yet, no. no. Okay. That's all I have. Appreciate you giving us new comments and uh, supporting ones that have already been said. Any other questions or uh, public comments? Other questions or public comments in support or opposition? Hearing none, um, would invite Mike back up. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I took a long list of notes. Um, most of those notes are some of those details that uh, surface through that final preliminary plat process of a new subdivision. Uh, two things I did highlight that I think are worth addressing uh, during the tentative preliminary plat or conceptual process. Uh, uh, I'll start with the last first being who's the builder. The builder's the same as the builders have been in Hawksview 1. Uh, the 
the quality construction will be the same as it's been in Hawksview 1. Uh, we expect to see uh, two-story, some ranches in Hawksview 2, but all of the same quality that uh, the home builders uh, built in Hawksview 1. Uh, secondly, regarding uh, timing and access, uh, we, uh, on behalf of Hawksview, are concurrently working on uh, a phase that gets us to countryside. Uh, those are just running at different, uh, uh, different timelines, so to speak. Uh, one is bigger than the other, uh, so um, we started uh, the phase that would get us to countryside a while ago. Uh, there's still work to do there, um, but we are concurrently working on that as well. So that, because uh, there were a number of concerns about access, so conceptually, the connection there is, I'm just, I think I'm missing something, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, was there a question? Just curious what to know, so you said that you were, I think you were addressing the access issue that was raised with Countryside Way, is that accurate? That is correct. Um, so just orient me again, how does Countryside Way help uh, alleviate some of the, or how does that connect to the access question, I guess is my. It provides a secondary access from Hawksview 1 and 2 uh, instead of doubling can get to Countryside. Okay. And we also heard some concerns too about grading and stormwater. So again, I know that's usually within final, but uh, anything conceptually you can speak to there? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I have enough detail at this point in the conceptual stage to really address it properly, but it's, it's surely those details that we do before we come back and see it. Okay, thank you, Mike. Yep, thank you. Go ahead and close the public hearing and go into deliberation and decision by the Planning Commission. Um, as part of getting started, is there any additional questions that were raised that we can answer at this point? I have one. Go ahead. Who plows the, the, road, the current roads? Those are public streets. The, they are. Comments? So it should be more specific. Those are City of Midland owned Plowed. and managed streets. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm trying to get at. Does that mean the city would be responsible for signage on those streets as well? Correct. That was a concern that was brought up. Typically with a new plat, that would, the developer would install the signage, but on an ongoing okay. maintenance basis, that would be okay. the city's responsibility. And also uh, road repairs and uh, repavement? Would be handled by the city. Um, typically with a construction project like this, there'll be a bond to ensure that there's funds available if there's damage to public infrastructure as a result of a project. and so. Um, we have engineering inspectors uh, who go out uh, and inspect projects um, like this to ensure that the workmanship of the construction is to city specifications and to ensure that if there's any damage to public, either public infrastructure or damage within the public right of way that that restoration is made to bring it back to its original acceptable condition. Yep. So just a question for uh, Jacob, uh, based on uh, preliminary plat, um, the staff recommendation was kind of rewind back. Staff's recommendation for the tentative preliminary plat is to recommend approval to city council. Um, any of the items that have been noted in the initial staff review of the tentative preliminary plat are all items that are um, addressed at final preliminary plat. And since we're not at that stage, 
Um, there's no contingencies necessary because those, all, all of those items uh, we would expect would be addressed through that submittal. Yeah, the final is really where my questions and comments would come in, not here. Um, going back to what was said by Mike at the end there, the connection to Countryside Way, is that something that would show up on a more detailed plan or? I think, um, not to, uh, to speak for Mike, I think his, his comment was more to the fact that the developer's intention is to construct a future phase that will include okay. that connection. So as a from a long-term basis, as this uh, development progresses into future phases, there will be a secondary outlet to Countryside. Okay. Yeah, where is that on the maps? It's, That's why I was asking my question, because I, I didn't see Countryside. It's pretty way far south. There. <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, there's okay. uh, you know, I found it on my, uh, you know, Google Maps, and okay. it kind of parallels Saginaw Road, but it's, I don't know, maybe three-eighths of a mile or so to the south, I think. Oh, is it that far? So for this portion of it, it's not a question they're going to go to countryside. Well, that's correct. That's what I heard. Yeah. Thank you for the clarification. I was not articulating as well as I could. Other comments? I got kind of a process question. If this goes through with the recommendation tonight or not, uh, the city council will discuss this on the 19th. Uh, is there opportunity for public comment then at the city council meeting or would these concerns be brought forward that we heard tonight to them or how would that work? City council is not required to hold a public hearing on a tentative preliminary plot and so there will not be advertisement of a public hearing. However, as a practice, city council typically entertains public comment on all agenda items. So I would expect there may be an opportunity um, if past practice holds for additional public comment. Um, but again, I yeah. think a number of the issues that were raised tonight are really not directly relevant to the decision on a tentative preliminary plat. And so it may be better suited to conversations when the final preliminary plan yeah. is submitted. I agree. You know, we, you know, we've got pretty objective criteria and a fairly narrow lane and a fairly limited scope of authority, whereas though the city council may have a little bit more leeway or may have a little bit more input on if it's not, you know, if it's a code enforcement issue, might be able to, you know, steer people in the appropriate direction for, uh, uh, you know, relief of their concerns. So uh, that, that's where I'm coming from. Again, I, I tend to view when their objective criteria to view my lanes as pretty narrow and, yeah. uh, you know, from a conceptual point of view, I'm aligning with this, but I recognize in the bigger picture there are broader concerns and uh, wouldn't want those lost. I mean, the, the reality is many of the concerns expressed this evening uh, could similarly be applied to the first phase of the development. So these aren't issues that the second phase is necessarily creating. Um, these are all issues that are exist today. There's currently one access point. Um, this is a new neighborhood. It created construction activity. That is the nature yeah. of home development. Um, the developer is, although they've indicated their plans for the lots, they're free to develop those lots in accordance with the minimum standards of the Michigan Building Code. Yeah. And they're not required to build at a price point and the Planning Commission is not in the position to require or mandate a specific quality yeah. of development for uh, this project or any other. 
And so just to, to reset expectations to make it clear that the, we're really, as you noted, looking at does this meet the criteria for tentative preliminary plat? Is the proposed tentative preliminary plat consistent with the requirements of the underlying zoning district? Again, internal staff review, including utility review, yeah. fire department review, public services review, finds that the tentative preliminary plat meets the standards that are necessary to recommend approval. Thank you for clarifying that. Greg? Yeah, I'd like to uh, make a motion to, I guess what we're doing is recommending approval to the city council of tentative preliminary plat for Hawks Nest 2 subdivision, if that's stated properly. I have a motion. Do I have a second? A second. <laughs> we have a motion from Commissioner Mayville and a motion, a second from Commissioner Broderick to recommend approval of tentative preliminary plat to City Council for approval. Will you please call roll? Decro? Yes. Mayville? Yes. Bain? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Collinger? Yes. That motion passes six to zero. Next date is the 19th, correct, of December. That's correct. All right. Thank you, Mike, for uh, providing the presentation and entertaining our questions. And thank you, everyone, who provided public comments as well. We appreciate your input. Uh, is now a good time for a break? I expect the next section to take a while. Uh, open up to commission. Do you guys want to take a five-minute break? Do you want to push through one more petition? <laughs> Can we get through one more? Well, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, next item on our agenda is planned unit development number 21. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I'll try to keep this brief. <laughs> so, planned unit number 21, the request before you this evening is for concept plan approval for a 204 unit multiple family development uh, proposed for 115 Eastlawn Drive. Um, the proposed uh, development is located within the residential B multiple family residential zoning district and your applicant is River Caddis Development. Subject property is located on the northeast corner of Eastlawn Drive and Jefferson Avenue. Um, this property was uh, previously the location of Eastlawn School. Um, zooming in just a little bit more, you'll see that school has been demolished. Um, property is fairly uh, long and skinny uh, with the skinny side, the front side facing Jefferson Avenue and the long side street side facing Eastlawn Drive. Property is located in a future land use of public parks and recreation, uh, which corresponds with that prior land use um, being the uh, public school. Surrounding future land uses are primarily residential. So we have a high density residential future land use to the north, to the east and to the south. We have a medium density residential future land use to the west, as well as to the southwest, we have a public parks and recreation future land use, uh, roughly corresponding with the city's central park and the Midland Community Center. In terms of zoning, as I noted, the subject property is located in the city's residential B multiple family residential zoning district. That is the same zoning district as the majority of the properties to the north, south, and east. Properties immediately to the west are located in the RA4 one and two family residential zoning district and properties to the southwest are located in the city's community zoning district. Planning developments are permitted under the city zoning ordinance in accordance with standards that are contained in article 24. 
Plenty of developments are intended to provide regulatory flexibility, uh, basically with the idea of being able to provide a more innovative project that's not otherwise achievable under the city's standard zoning district regulations. And so with that, um, there's certain standards that have to be met, certain eligibility criteria, and that affords the applicant and the planning commission to exercise some regulatory flexibility to create something that ideally would be um, better than what underlying zoning would otherwise permit. Um, as I noted, there are eligibility criteria for a plan unit development and the subject property and the proposed project do satisfy those criteria. The PUD process is a two-part process. The first is concept plan approval, which is what's before you tonight. The second part of the process is detailed plan approval. Concept plans provide preliminary illustrations. So there's a lot of parallels here between our, our last case, the tentative preliminary plat process and a concept plan review, review and approval. This is a really conceptual level where we don't have the level of engineering detail that we will receive at detailed plan review. Um, so right now we have conceptual plans for review. Assuming that those are approved by city council, the applicant will be able to apply for detailed plan approval. That will come back before the planning commission for public hearing before our recommendation is routed to city council. So as I noted, just an overview on the proposal, um, the subject property was the location of Eastlawn School, which was a K through five property owned and operated by Midland Public Schools. Midland Public Schools is still the property owner. The applicant has a purchase agreement to acquire the property for the development. Eastlawn School was opened in 1947 and closed in 2017, and the building itself was demolished in 2020. The site is 6.4 acres in size. Um, I will note that up until 2022, the site included the Little League Field, which is on the uh, eastern end of the property at Damon Drive. That uh, parcel was split off, I'm sorry, that's Bayless Street, was split off from um, the subject property in 2022 at the request of the school district. And so that Little League, Little League Field is not impacted by the project and is not part of the project site. The concept plan includes six three-story apartment buildings and one one-story clubhouse building uh, with a total of 204 dwelling units. The site also features extensive internal green space, stormwater, and approximately 292 parking spaces. On the screen, you'll see um, the conceptual rendering of the project. Uh, you'll see that those six uh, apartment buildings are evenly distributed across the property. There's one building proposed to front onto Jefferson Avenue. Uh, three of the buildings would front onto Eastlawn Drive, and then two buildings would be located internal to the property. Parking for the site is provided in a dispersed parking environment uh, with really two uh, goals in that design. One was to minimize the impact of the parking area on the aesthetics of the project, and two, to provide for more convenient parking access for the residents of the six buildings. You know that the project provides for a pedestrian connection to an existing pedestrian connector that runs to the north. The site also provides for several pedestrian connections to the adjacent rights of way and throughout the development to provide for easy walkability for the for residents of the proposed development. Roughly in the center of the project, you'll see that there is a um, large open space with a stormwater facility. Along the northern edge of the property, you'll also see that there's a significant amount of open space proposed uh, immediately abutting the properties to the north along Princeton Court. On the screen, you'll see a conceptual rendering of the project. This is roughly from a perspective of the city water tower um, from the southeast corner, or sorry, the southwest corner of the intersection, looking towards the north and east. One of the houses so, it. That's one of our 
So looking towards the, uh, to the right, um, that's East Lawn Drive running towards Saginaw Road. To the left, just out of image would be Jefferson Avenue running north and south with the Midland Community Center roughly to the back of this image. Planning your developments are subject to uh, certain criteria and the basis for your action tonight would be uh, those um, 10 considerations which are listed on the screen and I'm gonna go through the considerations, um, uh, highlight some of those as part of tonight's presentation. So first, looking at the purpose of the development. So I've already mentioned the proposed format of this project uh, which includes six detached apartment buildings. The format's similar to other housing developments in Midland, including developments that are located east of the subject site along East Lawn Drive. Um, the applicants worked very closely with city staff to develop this plan in order to provide a development layout that maximizes the setback from adjacent single family dwellings and provides for continuous usable open space. So I know we've had some conversations in recent meetings about other multiple family projects and a lack of usable open space. And so the applicant's gone to great lengths to ensure that this project provides for not just the code required amount of open space, but usable open space uh, for the residents of the property. The property also maintains that pedestrian connectivity, um, both through the site north to south as has existed uh, when it was a school, but also to the public streets, uh, north, south, east, and west. The introduction of multiple family housing on the site is consistent with needs that were identified in the 2018 housing report, which was a county-wide um, study of the uh, community's housing inventory and needs. Um, that study found that there was a significant need for multiple family housing at all price points in Midland County. The site itself is very centrally located within the city. Uh, it's in walkable proximity to Center City, the Midland Community Center, Central Park, Central Park Elementary, Midtown, Midtown High, uh, Midland High School, and many other community amenities. In terms of uh, the next basis for action is setbacks. And so again, the proposed concept was developed with the intent of uh, really a twofold intent. One, creating a vibrant pedestrian environment along East Lawn Drive and Jefferson Avenue, uh, which is consistent with the site's location. So we have a site located in the center of town in a very walkable area. And so the format of the proposed development is one that would encourage and support walkability. As such, building setbacks are primarily oriented around the city standards in our residential B2 district, with the buildings oriented more directly to the street frontages. Article 24, which is the plan unit development section of the zoning ordinance, does provide for smaller setbacks with build two lines in the interest of establishing a uh, consistent relationship of buildings to the street and sidewalk in order to form a visually continuous pedestrian oriented street front. This orientation and these setbacks also have the benefit of providing a significantly larger side setback to the adjacent single family dwellings on Princeton Court than would otherwise be required under the residential B zoning. Uh, none of the proposed buildings is closer than 60 feet from that interior property line on the north, which is three times the minimum required uh, by the plan unit development standards of the zoning ordinance and 23 feet larger than the minimum required in the residential B zoning. And so this just image just highlights um, three of the four buildings are located at 60 feet on the concept drawing from that northern property line. The fourth building that is adjacent to that north property line exceeds that 60 foot distance. The next basis for action is maximum height. 
The residential B multiple family residential zoning district has a maximum height of 28 feet uh, with a provision that that maximum height may be modified with the provision of a larger building setback. The proposed three-story buildings are expected to be approximately 36 feet, eight inches in height. This height does not trigger any additional height review in accordance with the standards for maximum height in Article 24, which is the planning and development standards. Parking and loading. The concept plan currently uh, indicates approximately 292 vehicle parking spaces. As I noted, the parking areas are designed in a manner which minimizes the visual impact of the parking and which places parking spaces within convenient distance to each building. I will note there are also an additional 25 public parking spaces that are parallel parking spaces that exist along the north edge of Eastland Drive, and those are not proposed to be removed uh, as part of this project. The concept plan also provides space for approximately 56 bicycle parking spaces. The quantity of vehicle parking that's shown on the concept plan is likely to decrease slight, slightly as we move into detailed plan review as additional site requirements such as ADA parking and dumpster enclosures are added to the site as well as other potential site amenities such as carports. Article five of the city zoning ordinance requires one and a half spaces for each efficiency or one bedroom dwelling unit and two per each unit with two or more bedrooms plus supplemental guest parking at a rate of one additional space per three dwelling units. This is the standard for the residential B zoning district. That amounts to 405 spaces total. By comparison, the city's other multiple family district, residential B2, requires one space per bedroom, which in this case would amount to 265 parking spaces. The subject property is very walkable. It's actually, um, as best I can tell, the most walkable location in the entire city of Midland with a 77 walk score out of 100. For comparison purposes, the walk score at the corner of Ashman and Main Street in downtown Midland is 61 and the average walk score for the city of Midland as a whole is 30. I'm sorry, I'm gonna to have to ask you to stop doing that. I'm trying to present. Yeah. You will have an opportunity to speak. Yeah. The applicant has provided a technical statement as required by Article 24 regarding that their anticipated parking demands and the methodology used to support the current parking design. Um, this is a uh, required statement under the terms of Article 24. Staff supports the applicant's approach to parking on site and believes it's appropriate given the context. It's consistent with the city's approach to multiple family parking in other districts, and it's gonna enable um, two important factors to the site design. One is expanded green space, and two is a reduction in impervious cover on the site. The next basis for action is landscaping. Um, at the conceptual level, we generally have concept ideas for landscaping. The concept plan shows two principal green spaces within the development. One is located near the center and it's intended to include amenities such as a pond, a pavilion or gazebo, play equipment, and a dog park. The other principal green space is a linear park that's uh, providing a buffer along the northern edge of the site. Um, this was the area where East Lawn School's parking lot previously existed and it's intended to remain as open space to provide an enhanced buffer to those residents on the north. A landscape plan with specifications of quantity and type of plannings would be required as part of a detailed plan submittal that would come later. On the screen, you'll see the applicant's proposed conceptual landscaping plan. I think it's important to note that as we move into detailed plan uh, review, there'll be an opportunity to work with adjacent property owners um, to determine that landscaping buffer along the northern edge of the property and ensure that it meets everyone's expectations. 
And the next basis for action would be open space requirements and PUD developments where there's a residential component. So I'll just note that the concept plan provides for approximately 36% of the site to remain as landscape green spaces, um, which is a pretty high percentage given the amount of activity otherwise taking place on the site. Um, staff's finding is the open spaces are thoughtfully designed to provide easy access to residents as well as to maintain the historic pedestrian access that connects this site to the neighbors and businesses to the north. In terms of the circulation system, um, the site provides three driveway accesses, one from Jefferson Avenue and two from East Lawn Drive. There's 11 pedestrian connections currently shown on the uh, conceptual plan, providing uh, connections to adjacent streets, as well as the existing pedestrian connection to the north. Um, internal drives are not currently shown at the minimum required width of 26 feet, which provides letter truck access. So as we move into detailed plan review, we would expect some modifications to the parking layout to accommodate that necessary fire department access. In terms of stormwater detention or retention, um, the applicant has indicated that the site stormwater management is gonna be integrated into the open space and used as an amenity um, and to provide beauty to the site. Um, some of the proposed elements include the large and shallow retention, or I'm sorry, detention pond in the central park element of the project uh, with a permanent water surface, rain gardens and bioswales. Um, like any other development, whether it was a site plan review or uh, a plan unit development, details on stormwater would be handled through the city's stormwater permitting process to ensure that any stormwater facility provided meets our standards. So looking at this uh, and then analyzing the plan uh, in association with the requirements of the ordinance, the concept plan is consistent with the requirements of Article 24, the plan needed development ordinance. It respects the existing context and supports the future needs of the community. It aligns with the city's current master plan and is consistent with feedback obtained thus far in the current Midland City Modern master plan process. It would also provide needed multiple family housing in a walkable neighborhood setting and it complements significant community investments that have been made in this area, including Central Park Elementary, the new Midland Community Center, and the Saginaw Road street Streetscaping Project. As such, staff recommends that the Planning Commission recommend approval of the concept plan to City Council. There are no contingencies associated with that recommendation. We've received three public comments to date, two of which are in support of the project and one in opposition. Um, I should note two of those were included in your packet. The third was received after the packet was distributed and was provided to you on the dais tonight. So with that, we're the first step in the conceptual plan review process, which is your public hearing. Um, following your action tonight, City Council will receive your recommendation on Monday uh, with the expectation of setting a public hearing for January 9th. We welcome any questions, Mr. Chair. Questions, Commissioners? Go ahead, Greg, or James. Well, I guess my main questions and concerns relate to why was, we're going PUD rather than uh, normal uh, apartment complex uh, RB zoning criteria. That's a great question. So what it really came down to is we, we looked at the, the existing base zoning, which is residential B, mm -hmm. and residential B really doesn't provide the flexibility of building placement and design that was desired here for two factors that I identified earlier. One yeah. was it's a very walkable environment. And frankly, the residential B district standards are very suburban in nature. So they're not conducive to creating walkable environments. The second was the desire to reflect earlier feedback on this project and to enhance the buffering to the north 
which is the most immediate single-family residential properties that are impacted. Yeah. I would note, um, as I did earlier, the, the residential properties to the north are also located in a multiple-family zoning district. Um, however, the developer was intent on providing as much buffering to the north to ensure that um, yeah. those that feedback was heard. And so we went through an analysis using residential B. We went through an analysis looking at a residential B2 option if there was a rezoning. And ultimately we decided given the unique characteristics of the property and the proposed project in this project site, a PUD process is the same essential time frame as a rezoning. And it provided yeah. an opportunity to provide something that was really unique and fit the context of the site. I had a similar question in that from my reading of the analysis, at the very least, it was the combination of height requirements, setback requirements, and parking as well that drove yeah. a lot of the PUD. Is that accurate? Well, I would challenge that just to say um, the project is, the front setbacks of the project and the side street setbacks of the project are more akin to what is expected in the city's residential B2 zoning district. Okay. The interior side and rear setbacks are consistent with what we would typically see for a residential B development. Okay. In terms of building height, residential B doesn't truly have a maximum height okay. because with additional setback, you are able to get additional height. Um, and again, with the exception of the front and side street setbacks, this project actually exceeds those amended um, setback requirements due to the extra height of the project, which is at three stories. Um, so yeah, it was, really a determination of we have a residential B and a residential B2, we really almost need a residential B3 that provides for this type of missing middle housing in an urban yeah. context. Mm -hmm. And because we don't have that, the PUD option really provided the, um, I think the best and most transparent way of reaching the objectives of the developer uh, for this particular site, um, given the, the regulatory dynamic we're working with. Yeah. yeah, anytime we do PUD, which we've done a lot of recently, my mind goes to future land use, which is what we're currently doing in the master plan process. Uh, other questions? All right, thank you. I, I had one. Oh, go ahead, sorry, Greg. Yeah, sorry for the lateness of that. Um, looking at the uh, three stories on that, um, you've explained the height regulations. I assume we have no regulations on sight lines to other housing developments or other things nearby, or do we? We do, um, those are contained in Article 24, the Plan Unit Development Standards, and as I noted uh, in my discussion on building height earlier, this project at the proposed height doesn't trigger those standards. Okay. Other questions? No. All right, uh, we'll move on in our process, uh, do our best to make sure everyone has an opportunity to provide comment. Um, we will begin that process with a presentation from the petitioner. Welcome you to come up. We just need a uh, name and address. Uh, stand on the blue mat for the mics, please. And if you're, if anybody's going to be saying anything, we just need a name and address on the, um, on the blue mat. Thank you. John McGraw, uh, River Caddis Development, uh, 1038 Trowbridge Road, East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, first off, uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, very Could you please speak up? Yeah, I can't hear you. Would like to get to the point, please? Thank you. Um, 
Okay. Speak up for everybody. Okay. Um, again, John McGraw, River Caddis Development. Uh, we are the developer for the project. Um, this is very exciting uh, for our company, for our family. We are a family company. Uh, my father was born in Saginaw, just to give a little bit of background. Um, 10 years ago, November 5th, um, 2012, it was my first day at River Caddis. Kevin, my father, uh, then president, uh, gave me a call and said, hey, would you come to Midland with me? It's your first day. I said, yeah, sure. I was like, what are we doing? He goes, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, so I got in the car. I'd never been to Midland. We've dri driven through it, but I'd never been at the time, 10 years ago. I got, uh, we got here, we went to the basement at Dow, uh, Dow Chemical. We had this meeting. I had no idea really what was going on. Uh, and that was the day that we ended up um, signing a, a lease or an agreement with Dow for the uh, Dow building at East End, which was our project that we completed in 2014. Now, <clears throat> right after that, we went and we had a cigar and a vodka, and I looked at Kevin and I said, I said, uh, this is my first day. Is it always like this? And he said, no. Uh, and he was right. Um, but since then, we've done a lot of projects across the United States. Uh, we've done eight to nine different projects uh, from in multiple different regions of, of the United States. Um, and through these travels, I've been able to um, experience, have the fortunate ability to meet a ton of folks from places that I'm not from, right? I get to hear stuff from the community. I get to um, take in different perspectives from all over the nation. And this project is, is really no different. It's a lot closer to the heart because this was the first project that I worked on as a developer. But we, uh, I wanted to just briefly get into who we were uh, as, as a company, as people, as fathers. You know, River Caddis, as we said, is, is based out of Michigan. Um, as, as developers, fathers, sons, uh, brothers, you know, we are, uh, we try to be intentional. Uh, we try to, um, we try to be listeners. We try to be collaborators. You know, we have a responsibility, especially in a project like this where it used to be a school. It's surrounded by a neighborhood. There's, it's downtown. We carry a lot of responsibility that we uh, create something that's impactful, that's intentional, but also, uh, represents well the community and its neighbors, right? We want to have a clean development. We want to have a safe development. We're building homes for people to live, for families to grow. You know, whether it's because there isn't a good housing stock or a large housing stock available for people to work in the current industry, or it's stopping current industry from growing larger than it is. And so we do have that responsibility. We've done, as I said, quite a lot of projects across the United States um, and seen a lot of different things. And I think you guys are aware of our project downtown. Again, this was a very complicated project. Um, there was a lot of environmental issues. There was um, um, 
lot of uh, logistical issues. It's state-of-the-art. We've had such a good experience in this city. Just, I, I, can't, I can't begin to explain um, how much this place means to us and without just fabricating and embellishing. There's a very soft spot in our heart because this project itself really grew River Caddis to who we were uh, and who we are. And so to be able to be back here and show you some of these beautiful pictures of a successful building that we've uh, continued owning, managing, operating, it still looks good. It still looks like this. This was taken uh, a month after it opened. And uh, I remember being there for those photos. And we still own it. We're, we're very proud of it. And I wanted to jump into some of these other projects that we do because what, what I'm afraid that it's going to do actually is show these bigger projects, these larger projects that are um, bigger than what we're explaining here today for, for our site. But I did want to show them because we are very intentional on how we design things. We take our time. We own these things. We, uh, we have to... Um, we have to lease them up. We have to um, put our name on it. You know, it's our reputation from, from here on out, right? So it's very important to, to us, to our family, that these things look good. So here's a project in, in Grand Haven, Michigan. This is actually rendering. Um, this project is being completed. This is probably relatively the closest project as to uh, what we're doing here in Midland. These uh, bottom two buildings are uh, actually four-story, though, so it's not, as quite, not quite as large, but it, it is a neighborhood development, downtown Grand Haven. We actually have water, uh, a water treatment plant on this site. It was so contaminated. Went through, it had PFAS going into the Grand River. We, uh, we um, worked with Eagle and the city to uh, remediate the, not just the soils, but the, the water contamination and then contain what was and, and becoming a much larger problem uh, for the community. Um, but this was a, uh, another project that was super complex, super contaminated. It is market rate, it is right downtown, it is urban. It's, um, I think within the first few months, we were uh, between 75 and 92% occupied. Um, and, and what we did was we phased a couple of the buildings so that we could lease up while the other ones were, were being completed because you put these, these projects into urban areas like a, like a Grand Haven or a Midland that's not like a Nashville or like a, a Boise, Idaho where people aren't flushing in and out really quick. This gives us the opportunity to take our time with construction, keep a clean site, notice the problems that we have and then fix them as we go forward on the other ones but also gives us time to lease up and, and, and be really intentional with uh, I mean, you don't want to have a building that's, that's empty, essentially. So that gives us another way to do that. Uh, Kalamazoo, uh, this one has not started yet, but we have received grants. This is a very complex project with market rate affordable, 4%, 9%, and workforce housing. Uh, it also has some live work. Um, it is right along, a, uh, along the a river right downtown uh, Kalamazoo walkable to Bells, walkable to the old Arcadia, right across the street from the bakery. Um, this is just a fun project. This was an RFP for affordable housing four years ago. 
just a lot of contamination, a lot of problems. It's taken us a long way to get here, but very proud of this project. Here's a project in Boise, Idaho, downtown. And this is one that I was talking about. Um, it's a, the magnitude is a little bit different, but it still shows the versatility of our group, that we've seen different things, we've been in different places. We can listen to people's issues uh, with, with our developments or concerns, and we can approach them, and we do all across the nation. It's very important to us to hear what issues and concerns are so that we can be a valued community member. We understand that I don't live here, and it's easy for me to say that. So by taking into account people's concerns and possibly integrating that into the development could and would and should make the development not just better, not just stronger, but easier to lease up, easier to stay that staple in the community that's walkable and provides economic impacts as well as social impacts all across the board. This Boise project was a public-private partnership with Ada County, which is downtown Boise. Um, this was leased up within two months. It was 174 units on top of a four-story garage. Here's the, the, the pool that you see is um, actually in the fifth floor, and I don't know if you can really see it very well, but if you're imagining the pool, right behind you is a 270-degree look at the Rocky Mountains or Bogus Basin. It's just, you know, we're very lucky and fortunate to be able to work on a project like this that, we've, uh, that we found the land, that we designed it, we, developed, we financed it, and we developed it, and we own it and, and operate it. Uh, here are some other projects that we've done across the country that involve student housing, mixed use, bunch of different things. But what you can see here in this photo, not one project is alike. We don't have a prototype. I'm not bringing something from Grand Haven or Traverse City or um, Royal Oak or somewhere else in Michigan or somewhere else in another state for that example and putting that here. We're taking an intentional approach to the design, not just of the site, but of all of the buildings going forward. And we are in those beginning stages and we haven't heard from the public. We have taken, as, as uh, uh, Mr. Kane has uh, represented, we have taken a really serious uh, approach to listening to stakeholders, not just from the, the foundation, but from the school system, from the city, from the staff, uh, as many people as we can really get in the room with to understand uh, what the landscape of uh, this area is. Because while we have a development here, you know, there's only so much that, that, we, can, that we can know. Um, now, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm talking more than um, I typically would in something like this, but this is our first time to be seen by the public in about 10 years. So I wanted to give that opportunity to explain who we were and then offer up, obviously, some of our projects, but then know that I'm here to listen and understand concerns that, that people do have. Uh, and I will be available to, uh, to answer questions after today. It won't be the only time that you can get in touch with me. But this project was awarded through a RFP by the Midland uh, Public School System that we, that we won or were awarded. Um, and from that, we were able to take a lot of information from not just the school, but the school worked with the foundations and it worked with the city. And that provided this idea for us to come in knowing this is a place that wants something like this. This is a place that, that is looking for a partner, that is looking for someone to listen and come in and really do something special. Because this is a, this is a big project. 
as you said, the, the walkability of a, 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 the walk score of 77. You know, there isn't a lot of places in Midland, if, if any, that have that walk score. This is a chance that we can do something really special, and I'm stoked about it. Today we have, um, I, I wanted to talk more about the methodology of who we were and how we got here, um, but we'll, we'll let the, the smart folks discuss uh, the site plan, the zoning, if we have uh, any questions for, um, uh, about uh, our team, happy to answer those myself. About the site, we have uh, Justin Brooks, who's gonna talk quickly about the uh, site. Uh, he's from Trim, And then we also have Mike Corby, our architect, to talk about initial designs and kind of how we arrived at this today. So I'm gonna back away, but thank you, and uh, let them go. Thank you, John, as we continue in our process, we would ask that uh be respectful of those uh, while they're presenting. And I'll be quick with some of the site plan stuff because Mr. Kane already uh, went over a lot of it um, on the plans. But my name is Justin Brooks uh, with Wade Trim, 1403 South Center Valley Road, Bay City is our office location. So we kind of already talked about the site. Everyone knows the site. We're on the corner of Jefferson Avenue and East Lawn Drive. So I just wanted to show this aerial. This is a, kind of a, a, a aerial that we threw together to kind of look at a little bit of that walkability. So you can see some of the locations that we have listed up there, like Center School, Midland High School, um, Center City, a lot of those locations within a mile walking distance of this site. And then even areas like um, downtown, um, the ballpark, uh, restaurants, there also is um, some of the parks there within a one mile to two mile walking range. So that was part of what we thought about when we laid out this property is to make sure that um, we provided easy access for these individuals living in the development to get access to these locations. And like we show on here, the orange lines are actually bicycle routes that are in place, already in place. East Lawn Drive has a dedicated bike lane. Um, there's more sidewalks than what we show with our blue lines there but those are the main walking paths that residents would be able to get to these locations. Um, so that is what helped us kind of put together our site plan as we showed it and what uh, kind of Mr. Kane already presented on um, his presentation as well. And one of the biggest uh, design initiatives we looked at when we did this and why we went with the PUD is instead of having the typical um, kind of institutionalized apartment type buildings boxed together with large surface lots. We wanted to have more of a walkable development with landscaped areas that could be used as amenities by the development. So that's why we looked at the PUD, pushing the buildings outer to those outer lot lines along the roadways, um, providing more space to the internal of the property for green space that could be utilized, but then also providing that extra buffer along the north side um, to respect the neighbors to the north. And then again, uh, one of the plans that uh, Mr. Kane showed, again, uh, we go into detail on the detail plan for our landscaping, but just to uh, show a, a little bit of a concept of what we would consider landscaping in these areas, having like an evergreen buffer along the backside that would provide privacy. Um, for those of you who may not know what a rain garden is or a bioswale, 
Um, it is a green stormwater feature that has plantings in it, so it acts more like a park-like amenity, but also can help us control our stormwater. Hand it over to Michael. I'm Mike Corby with Integrated Architecture, uh, 840 Ottawa, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I'm just going to go quickly over the architecture. I think as, as Justin, Justin and John mentioned, we've really been kind of sensitive to placement of the buildings, trying to treat um, the relationships between the buildings kind of in a in a way that's uh, less suburban and more kind of urban in terms of the relationship of pedestrians uh, and building to building. Um, we've intentionally kind of created that buffer on the north side, again, to kind of create, uh, continue some of the green space, but also just to have um, some distance there and allow us to kind of, um, you know, cluster the buildings in a way that's respectful of the surrounding areas. This, this shows kind of a bird's eye. Another thing that uh, was important to us is um, just hiding mechanical systems or mechanical equipment and things like that. We'll be able to tuck those kind of into positions on the roof that um, won't be visible uh, from grade and things like that. But the basic forms, and you can see in the renderings that were submitted in the packet, are just really uh, low-scale low roofing, uh, kind of breaking the massing of the buildings up a little bit, using more of a prairie-style roof uh, with the overhangs and the low-pitched roofs. Uh, these are some uh, renderings from the street. So you can kind of see in the foreground some of the green space and the, the rain garden areas or the open spaces that uh, Justin mentioned before. But using materials that are familiar, we're using siding uh, with some brick accents, uh, residential windows, um, as I mentioned, low-scaled uh, or, or low-pitched roofs. Um, again, to, to really enhance the idea of walkability, you see on the site plan, taking a lot of attention to just um, pedestrians and how they move both onto the site, uh, but also within the site itself. And again, maintaining some of the networks that are in place already uh, as it was when it was a school. The, uh, the, the community center will be a, basically a, a taller one story. Uh, and again, we're, you can see just in the imagery that we're going to have a lot of kind of activity areas that are positioned uh, around that, um, as well as the amenities that were discussed earlier in the open spaces. So again, just uh, as, as John mentioned earlier, very intentional, very, we're, we're trying to look at materials, forms that are, that are familiar, residential forms, uh, things that are kind of um, uh, very uh, residentially scaled and um, fitting in the context. I think we're included in our original packet, is that correct? Yeah, I think some of these latter renderings um, we, we just recently completed, so they're, they're showing kind of more kind of in this, in the, at the grade level. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any other petitioner presentations? No, just, uh, just questions if you guys have them, and we'll tag team all of them. Yep, so just welcome you to stay up here. If we need other words to come up, we will. Um, questions, okay. commissioners? Go ahead, James. Yeah, I have uh, one on, uh, well, a couple. One relates to accessibility and one to parking. Uh, with respect to parking, are the parking spaces assigned or are they uh, going to be just 
here's a space, if it's open, take it. Um, we haven't gotten into the management of okay. the parking itself. Typically, in our developments, assigning parking spots creates a lot of issues. So we yeah. typically try to stay away from that. Okay, and just a, a, from a conceptual level, what I'm looking for is how would you see 10 years down the road maybe, and again, trying to just conceptual, putting in uh, vehicle charging stations and things like this? Oh, we're thinking about that now. Okay, do you have any thoughts you can share at this point? As to sustainability? Or As to EV how stations? you manage uh, uh, EV charging stations for a, a facility like this? Uh, well, it, you know, it, it's hard, right? Because yeah. we can't predict the, the future. Um, but it, it's a lot more prevalent than it was 10 years ago, yeah. uh, five years ago, even three years ago. And so typically what we've done, whether it's uh, in a parking garage or if it's a just grade level uh, development, is we put in conduits throughout the site for areas that we can step up and have future uh, areas for, for power, um, for places that... Okay, banks. maybe this is a little bit ahead of that. And then the other real quick question isn't related directly to parking, but you, uh, will any of these units be handicap accessible or disability accessible? Well, I, I don't want to speak for everybody or even with our civil and, and, and architectural, but we're required to have ADA throughout every development. Not just for Standards. the parking, but I mean for the units themselves. We're also required to have oh, okay. ADA units as well in all developments, yeah. Okay, thank you. That's what I have for now. Yep. Other questions? Not right now. All right. Thank you, guys. And you want to go back to your All right. We'll move on in our process um, and invite public invite public comments uh, in support or opposition, as well as questions. Um, would ask that you please direct your comments and questions to us as Planning Commission. Uh, if there are questions, we will do our best to collect those and answer those um, at the end of the public comment section. So uh, again, one at a time, we just need public comments from you. Um, stand on the blue mat, and then we need a name and address as well. My name is Fred Jones, I'm at 114 Princeton Court, which is to the north side of the development. Um, I guess my biggest concern, I've, I've lived there for 15 years, raised my family, sent all my kids to East Lawn. They've all gone except for one. When I moved to the neighborhood, a little not really diverse uh, since I've moved there and bought, bought a home there. There's three other African-American families who have moved on the court. That's a high population for Midland, right there on, on one court. You've got four African-American families and Hispanic family across the street, right on that court. I honestly feel three stories right here, and this is a, this is a neighborhood. I heard him say that you know, this would match up with other things on East Lawn. Yes, other things on East Lawn that are further down, not in a neighborhood. I mean, this is, I, I actually work construction I sat here and heard the people of Hawk's Nest. I'm actually, I'm a contractor and I do work in Hawk's Nest. I hear them talk about additional traffic. I'm in Hawk's Nest 
and on countryside uh, estates, all of that every single day. I hear them complain about 25 more houses. This is, what did we say, 205 units? 205 units. One block north of us, I think he's approved of uh, another complex that's going up even higher. So you're taking 205 units, say that's 400, 500 people there. One block north, you're adding a few hundred more people. A quarter mile south, you just approved where they tore down the trees, you're adding how many more units? You're, 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 looking, at, you're looking at five to 600 people within a quarter mile that you're adding right there. And we had to hear about the people of Hawks and us complaining about 25 units behind them. And like I said, nice, beautiful homes. I work on them every day. I've built almost every home in Hawks Nest. And you're gonna you know, hear about 25 homes when we have to deal with 205. 60 feet is here, a little bit past that wall right there. My backyard is wide open right now. I lost my fence when they took down the school. <clears throat> my property value, not value, but my land has dipped. When they did the property there, they raised the property. So I get all the rainwater. They put in a couple drains, but it doesn't help. Um, three stories over my, me and my son's bedroom. I mean, that's 60 feet isn't far away. It's not, it's not. Three stories, I mean, like I said, adding six, 700 people to a quarter mile radius, that, that's, that's just insane to me. You know, I, the utilities, um, things like that. I, I just, I mean, I look at the infrastructure too of a single home, and, but then I look at it for a unit like this, um, how it's gonna fit what two parking spots per unit, that's 400 and some units, plus one every third unit. There's, it's just not possible on that lot. I mean, I, I, every day I see this every single day, but like I said, not, not just a diverse neighborhood. You see a lot of the people in here are older residents of the neighborhood. It's what we can afford on this side of town. And they're complaining about Hawk's Nest when, you know, minimum cost over there right now is 650, 700,000, but you're taking our 60, $80,000 homes and throwing this up. You know, that's, you know, we've got a lot of aging residents right there on Princeton Court. One of the paths showed has a walkway right, right into her house, mm -hmm. a couple other people's houses right here. I mean, that is just gonna use, Princeton Court is just gonna be up an extra parking lot for them. And I get calls from one of my older neighbor, you know, neighbors every day. Hey, someone's parked on the street, you know, don't know who they are. I mean, she'll, yeah, she's not gonna do well with, you know, our street lined with cars and like I said, three stories. There's no privacy fence that I could put up that would prevent that. And it would take 15 years. I mean, those pictures don't represent what it's like living, you know, right there, 60 feet away with three stories over you. I mean, it, it would take 15, 20 years for those trees to get that tall to provide any, any type of privacy. So as it goes on, and I know it'll take years, but I'm considering, you know, moving my family just not out of the neighborhood, out of town because of it. I mean, I made an investment in a home on that side of town, which you know I could afford, not a lot of people can afford, but a lot of us are homeowners over there. And like I said, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in Midland. I'm in Midland 
every day in all of these neighborhoods. And, um, you know, to put that right there, add six, 700 people quarter mile, that, that's just, that's, that's just crazy to me, crazy. Thank you, Fred. Other public comments or questions? Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Sorry, keep you guys all night. I'm Brandy Brown. I live at 118 Princeton Court. I'm actually Fred Jones's neighbor, and I am right north of that property line. Um, my husband and I purchased our first home uh, about a year and a half ago, so July of right after COVID. Uh, we got married, had a baby. It was time to buy a house, and um, it was the first time in both of our lives where we could afford a house. Down payment was nice right before that housing market kind of <laughs> went crazy, um, which kind of brings me to my next point. We overpaid for our home. We overpaid by our home about 10 grand. My fear is something like this, three-story tall, we're never gonna be able to sell and make money the way that we should have five to six years ago. Um, our property, you know, is gonna take a huge dip in what we, we paid, essentially. Um, as I said, I'm a mother. Um, you probably heard my little girl. <laughs> um, we're not from the area, we're from Grand Rapids. We don't have much family. Fred is our family. and. Uh, <laughs> He's here. Um, safety is a huge concern um, with the amount of units uh, coming in as well as the units coming south or north of us and the units coming south to us. Um, are we hiring additional police force to you know, monitor that area? Are we adding additional um, you know, patrols in that area? Are we hiring extra people that add in um, more infrastructure such as stoplights, that type of stuff? Uh, the pictures show that there's one baseball field uh, there's actually two baseball fields there currently, and as I know, as my husband's a volunteer uh, baseball coach for uh, the Midland area, so we've spent all summer on those fields behind there. He coached flag football this summer. We used that whole lot this whole fall, teaching little boys on how to play flag football. We weren't the only ones there. There were other uh, coaches teaching their children on how to play there as well. Um, so it looks like you guys are gonna be ripping down uh, one of the baseball fields that are currently there, which I guess is part of the school. Um, I have extreme flooding already currently, as Fred uh, mentioned, we're built kind of south of the land, so there's already a dip in the hill. Uh, every time it rains, I know my backyard is going to be a huge flood area, it brings in lots of bugs, my kids can't go outside for several days, um, it's just not fun. The whole lot actually there are floods, so um, I know that they mentioned storm fields and all that type of stuff, but the, there's a huge draining issue going on right there as it is. Um, so. 20-month-old little girl, likes to go outside, likes to play. We have a garden. We put a trampoline out back. We put um, a swing set back there. We have a little fire pit back there. My whole backyard is now on display for 200 and some odd strangers. And I, I, you're, you're probably a mother. You, you wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like your little girl outside running around in her diaper. It's a crazy world right now. We don't know these people. And that's one of the reasons why my husband and I purchased a house. We wanted out of that apartment community. Um, I think it was September, we had a huge meeting. Um, Gloria, who I see is here, hosted it in that field. We had over 100 people there against this just because of safety concerns, just of the green land. Um, I heard Hawk's Nest talking about these big, beautiful maple trees. There's several big, beautiful trees in that area. We see dogs flying up and down that street all day long. It's just a really nice area. Um, another one of my concerns is lighting. Um, there's not a lot of street light right now. It's a very dark area. Um, so there definitely needs some lighting approved. Uh, traffic, with that many new cars, I think about my little girl riding her bike down the road and accidentally falling and you know in the road for some reason, God forbid. <laughs> but just something along the lines of that with increased traffic, you just, you just never know. 
Um, there's just, it's, we're passionate about it because we're homeowners. Um, we bought the house because there was a huge empty lot and we're not against housing. That was one of the things we mentioned, put a house there, let some other family grow their family, have more kids there, but do it in a manner that protects the homeowners that are already there. Put a two story in, put two story dwellings where people can actually come and purchase a house. I can't tell you the, the amount of thrill. He, he spoke about having a cigar and a vodka with his dad. My husband and I moved into our house and sat on a couch and we, we just hugged each other, we did it. We bought a house, we're living the American dream and now I have to protect my family a little bit in a way that I was not planning on doing when we moved to Midland. We moved here because we wanted community and like Fred said, we're gonna have to put our house on a market. I don't wanna live next to a three-story property with 200 people in there. Um, the, the residents that are going in Bayless is, is Andy's. I don't know if you're familiar with the Andy's place, but it's a recovery place. So we're getting that in the area. We're doing another subsidized housing just right up the street with 100 people right behind the post office. It's too much volume in too many little areas. Not one of those pictures you see, you know, schools, you see cool places for people to go to, the community center, you see, you know, shopping. But what you don't see are the amount of apartment complexes in that area. So we have those units coming, we have our Midland Manor, we have the other one that's just right uh, west of it. There, I, I urge you to look at how many apartments complexes are in there and if there's any way we could switch back to a two-story single income housing, middle class, we are so for that. We wanna support our community and have more people move in that area but not in the manner that it is currently. And I urge you to think about being a mother and I urge you to think about being a father and do what's best for the people that are there already because <laughs> Our hearts are broken. We go to work every single day to pay for our homes and our hearts are broken thinking about leaving that area where he's my kid's uncle and it's, it's great. I know she's right up the road. I buy Girl Scouts cookies for her. We have Irene who lives across the street who we, she's 70 years old and we're out plowing her driveway during the winter because she wants to go outside and plow and we're like, get inside, get inside. We have Michelle across the street who is uh, works for the police station. We just have so many good people on that road that are gonna be affected by it because our, our livelihoods are at stake. So I really urge you to think about it as a homeowner's approach, as a mother's approach, as a father's approach, as a grandfather's approach. And if there's any time that you guys need to call me, you guys have my address on file. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Brandy. Other public comments? My name is Judy Ware, and I live at 511 East Nelson Street. I've lived there for 55 years. My kids grew up at East Lawn. My grandkids went to East Lawn. And I, I would like you to address the traffic situation. Where East Lawn turns into Nelson, there's a curve there, and I can't tell you how many cars have ended up in the park against an, this tree or that tree. So you need to address the amount of traffic on that street before you approve any more of this stuff going up. And the fact that there are apartments going up on the end of Bayless, behind the post office, and now at East Lawn, how, much, how many people do you think our neighborhood can handle? It's not realistic, really, to think, think about it. And what she said about three-story versus two-story, you have to listen to this. Thank you. Other public comments? Hi, my name is Jennifer and I live at 313 Princeton. So I'm a little passionate, I apologize. But um, I bought my house almost six years ago 
Um, I'm a single mom. You know, I bought it. Uh, I'm really concerned about the <clears throat> the driveway um, from Jefferson. So he mentioned that he would put a driveway out of the complex onto Jefferson. Our road, the sidewalk is like that close from where he would probably put that to our road. There, the congestion, I, I, you know, I take my daughter to school every day before I go to work. And I mean, it's easy to get out. If you add like 500 more cars coming and going, we don't have a stoplight at our road because it's just right at Jefferson um, and East Lawn. So the traffic immensely will be a nightmare. We'll probably be sitting at, we only have a stop sign, so we'll just be sitting there for a really long time. Um, I'm afraid for the, the in 15 years, what is the, the area gonna look like? I mean, our homes are between 60 to $100,000. If you add all that more added traffic, the crime, the drugs, I have an 11 year old. You know, she's just now being able to stay home alone. I mean, the sex offenders, you know, these are things I have to worry about as a mom. I can't control who moves into that place. Is it gonna be low income? Are they buying it? Are they renting it? I mean, what, what is the, can you answer that question? Is it low comments income? And questions to us, please. We'll do our best to answer the questions towards the end. Okay, I mean, I'm just a little passionate. I apologize. I mean, I don't think this is an easy subject for anybody. Um, I mean, there's no offense. You know, like when we had our meeting in the summer, we asked if this, that this be single family housing, that they build a fence to the back of our property line to where this would end up at. We want like a huge fence. You know, I think it should have to be single family housing. The area just does not, it's six acres and you're gonna add over 400 people and six acres. I mean, it's gonna be a clustered nightmare. I mean, I don't see how you can evaluate what it would look like. I mean, on, in the pictures that they showed, the whole area looks absolutely nothing like it. So the pictures that they drew up, it's totally nothing like it. I mean, our houses are from the 50s. Uh, the whole atmosphere is not even relevant. So I don't know what else, you know, I, I just would like to see like single family homes, make like another road and put like single family homes on each side, maybe like 24 more houses, you know? I mean, I think that would fit the area a lot better. I mean, that's what we agreed on and we were passionate about in the summer when we had our meeting and we were told that our voices would be heard and it's apparent that it's not true. I mean, it's very relevant. Thank you, Jennifer. Good evening. Sorry, it's so late. Linda Barth, 2431 Damon Drive. So I live directly behind the, the project. Um, a passions run really high when it's your neighborhood, as you probably figured out, right? So most of these people are feeling very bad about their where they live and whatever now because of what's happening. But I would just like to point out a few things. First of all, as investors, I understand the reason for wanting to capitalize on your investment. Put three stories in, it's gonna be, my understanding is gonna be fair market rents. It's not, a, it's not a subsidized unit at all, it's all fair market rents. Um, and that's what I was told today. So um, that means that the higher they go, the more money they make, and I get that. As an investor, I certainly understand it. The concerns that I have is perhaps they could reevaluate that and maybe consider going back, as the other lady said, to a two-story. It won't be quite as much money, but it might be more friendly to the neighborhood. A um, Couple things I put out this morning. 
we know that in Midland, in the city of Midland, especially the older neighborhoods where we all live here, um, the structure, the infrastructure is somewhat compromised a lot of the time. So if we add 200 more apartment units, are we going to also add 200 more toilets? Of course we are. So is that gonna mean that everybody around the neighborhood is gonna start seeing more stuff coming up in their basement than they had before? Possibly, I don't know. We know that there have been issues around the city regarding storm sewers. Well, this is gonna be sanitary sewers, a, a bigger issue in my opinion. Um, I, was, I was looking today, we have already six separate multi-occupant structures with 530 rental units between Green Hill and Jefferson. So there's 530 units. Now some of them are condos, some are apartments, but they're all in unit developments. So that, that's quite a few properties. Um, and this property adding another 200 not only will compromise um, the traffic, which when you have um, Cleveland Manor alone has 198 properties in there. Now not everybody in there has a car, but if they did, they generally all come out onto East Lawn. So you've got all this traffic coming, and now we're going to have 200 more cars coming out onto East Lawn Drive, which I think is going to be a little bit of a problem, during, especially during the high traffic times. And there are some, like Midland High School, <laughs> you know, the cars going back and forth. Um, and then other, other people using that route to get downtown. I think anybody who lives in that neighborhood always goes down East Lawn, around the curve, and goes to downtown. So that's another thing to think about. Um, will it have an on-site manager? That, that's really kind of important. If you're going to have anything with 200 uh, properties in it, you need to have somebody there monitoring what's going on. Now, obviously, it may not be somebody who will live on-site all the time, but it should be somebody there every day because if something happens, what's, what's the alternative of the neighbors? To call the city or to call the police? I mean, if there's something going on that they need, uh, need work with. So those are some of the things that I was putting in my mind today. And the other thing was that five foot thing has me really kind of bugged. So the five foot, they want to have a, an exemption that they were supposed to have, I believe it's 20 feet from a side yard, and now they want that to be five feet. Now that means if I'm walking down the sidewalk, my hand five feet, I mean, I could almost touch the building. Um, but so the setbacks, I think, really have to be reevaluated to make sure they meet some kind of conformity. And whether they could redesign this thing for it's more accommodating to the neighborhood and to the people there. We all know we need, we obviously need more rentals. I wish, well, I don't wish, but they, I wish there was some way we could provide low-income housing. That's the thing that Midland is really, really needing, and that's not what's happening in town, unfortunately. But I do think that with this new structure, someone said to me today, probably what will happen is that because it's market, some of the other complexes in town which have market rents um, who are, what are, that are older will probably lose their tenants who will move now to the new building, which is nice and fresh, and they'll have all brand new, and then the older units will now be suffering. So just something to, you know, maybe kind of noodle some of this stuff and see if it makes any sense to you when you're evaluating it. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Yes, my name is John Pop, and I own one rental house at 2917 Jefferson and one on 110 Princeton, so whatever. But my question is, all these projects that we're talking about, is there federal money, state money, or city money into this project? Thank you for your question. We'll do our best to answer it towards the I end. I can't hear you. We'll do our best to answer your question towards the end. Will you? Okay. Thank you. 
Thank you, John. Good evening. I'm Jean Wolf. I live at 116 Arbury Place. My question is, they're talking about bringing in six to 700 more people in that area in East London. That. Do they realize that 2.5 blocks from where they're putting up this house, across the street from where they're putting up low-income housing, they're putting up in the Andes? Now, everybody at the meeting said they didn't want it. And they reported back here they only had one complaint. Nobody wants that in the neighborhood. They will have eight-foot fences. They will have cameras. They will have lights. They will have a security guard during the daytime. There will be no security there at night. The residents will be leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning and checking in at 10 o'clock at night. Your walkability just went down the tubes. People aren't going to let their children in that out on the streets. They're not going to use your parks and stuff because they're afraid of what's coming. We have no control over what's going on in our city, of what you're building and what you're doing to our property. I've been in my house for 25 years. It was supposed to be my last home. My son just bought a house in the area. We don't want to be there. We have no control over what you're doing, about the amount of traffic you're bringing in, about the type of people that's coming in. Nobody's listening to us. And we're the ones who are paying the taxes and been living here all this time. You need to look at what we're saying. This is our town. My parents grew up in this town. Their parents grew up in this town. This means a lot to us. But if we get driven out, the whole generations of building is gone. All the history. You can't do that to us. We deserve better. And I would really like to see you guys look at this more realistically because the traffic in that, over in that area is horrendous. We're forever having accidents on Bayless, on Jefferson. We can't stand any more traffic in that unless you do something about the way it runs. And the people, how are we gonna take care of all these people? Do we really have enough people to fill these places? We need you to hear us. We mean what we say. If we have to, we'll, we'll leave this town. And we don't want to. My family's been here for generations. And we came back here after Dad got out of the service because we wanted to be home. And now it's not home. Everybody has a say-so but us. And I'd like to see you listen to us and help us work this out because we don't want to go. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Good evening, Matthew Thomas, 111 Princeton Court. It's the north side of Princeton Court, so it doesn't um, directly abut my property, but um, I share most of the concerns of my neighbors. I do want to mention um, prior to this development, we did have that meeting that was mentioned earlier in the field. And um, 
it, it was mentioned or um, kind of assumed that there would be 60 to 70 units built on this property. And I think the majority of my neighbors were okay with that. They were, oh, that's, that seems reasonable. It matches the landscape of the neighborhood. Um, and that's, I think, important to us is matching that landscape of the neighborhood where on Princeton Court, the south side and north side, and then Dartmouth is all um, single family or, or small single structure businesses. Um, to put a three-story, and not just one, but six three-story buildings right there um, really changes the landscape of the neighborhood. And I, I just think that's a big part of what people don't want to see there. Um, we're not opposed to developing uh, housing, because I, I mean, I'm with everybody. I believe we need housing in the area. Just, and it, it is a great neighborhood. I know Jacob mentioned the 77 walkability score. That's one of the reasons why I bought my house in that neighborhood. It is a great neighborhood. Um, but I didn't buy my house there to be surrounded by high-rise apartments. So um, if you could consider, and the developer maybe consider um, shrinking it a little. I, I, I know that it, they're market rate apartments. I, I know that the goal is to um, make, make money from that, but you have to understand those that live around it, um, our property value or sellability, the, the ability to sell it later on is going to go way down. I mean, you might not think so, but, but it's going to. It is going to drastically change how people look at that neighborhood when I go to sell my house. So um, again, I, I matched the sentiment of, of most of what was said. Those were just the extra comments that I, I wanted to say as well. Um, and, and traffic, but traffic was mentioned earlier too. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Public comments. Elizabeth Thomas, I also reside at 111 Princeton Court. Um, the, the other thing is uh, issue of privacy. Um, there are mature trees on the lot that I'm sure would have to be removed to accommodate a three-story building. And again, it's not in keeping with the landscape. And um, I don't really see how you would be able to protect the privacy of the houses on Princeton Court unless you put mature trees um, to kind of separ separate those. Um, so privacy, um, traffic, I don't know how you're going to accommodate all of the vehicles for all of the people that live in that unit. Um, right now we have a city ordinance that says you, you can't park on your lawn, yet I know that the people that live at 2601 Jefferson um, park on their lawn, and so <clears throat> I, you know, people are not following ordinances with regard to where they're allowed to park, and there's nobody um, enforcing that. Um, so that's an issue. Um, yeah, privacy, traffic, um, and it's not in keeping with the landscape. And there are other developments that uh, that are coming within close proximity as well. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Thank you, Elizabeth. Public comments. My name is Dan Irish. I have a residence at 515 East Nelson. And I just, uh, my kids went to East Lawn and Eret and then got tore down and things like that. And it became a green space. 
And I know Midland is, prides itself on its trees and green space. And here you have six and a half acres. You have two mature, three mature maples there were probably planted by students from East Lawn. And you're gonna say, well, for development of the future, these trees gotta go because there's no plans to keep them in their plants. So what it is is we're destroying part of the history of that lot. And we're destroying green space on a, on a, in a community that prides itself in green space. And that's my concern. I work at Dalgar, I worked at Dow Gardens for 35 years, so I know about green space and trees, and these are, these are wonderful maples, so I wish you'd take that into consideration. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And the traffic will be increased <laughs> by 200 plus cars. Thank you, Dave. Public comments. Uh, good evening, Planning Commission. Uh, Grant Marshall, I live at 2119 Bayless Street, just around the corner. Um, tonight, though, I do want to speak on behalf of the Housing Task Force for the city um, and uh, Midland County. Uh, you did receive our uh, statement of support, um, but just want to explain who we are. Um, we are a cross-section of <clears throat> a representation from um, housing-related sectors, including the real estate sector, um, banking, nonprofit development, city planning, and philanthropy, um, all um, here in Midland. Um, we have been continuing to meet since the 2018 housing analysis was done here in Midland County, which at the time we knew we needed more low-income housing, but there was also elements of that study that pointed out the fact that we needed housing choice uh, for the 21st century. Uh, we needed to provide new housing options that were in walkable locations to be able to diversify the housing options that are being provided to residents, um, not only current residents, but prospective residents. So in our statement, we do uh, want to affirm the fact that a variety of price points is important for a housing ecosystem in order for you to have um, good quality um, uh, housing options for people of all life stages. You do need to provide not only low-income housing, but first um, home buyer options. You need to provide uh, walkable units in an apartment complex setting like what is being proposed tonight. But it is about balancing your entire ecosystem, which we know from analysis over a number of years, Midland's ecosystem is very single family home dominant and we don't have a lot of choice, especially when it comes to um, uh, options in a walkable area. Uh, this would enhance that area and also build on additional investment that's being um, ongoing um, or uh, proposed in that area. We talked about Andy's place, there's Center City Lofts that's continuing to move forward just behind the post office. You have the new community center, you have the renovations at Cleveland Manor um, that have happened, you have the uh, Saginaw Road streetscape as well as the renovations to Green Hill that have happened too. And so there's been a long history of investment within this part of the city of Midland. Um, all intentional around trying to create um, a place that has a variety of socioeconomic levels, has a variety of diversity um, and choice options for, uh, for the community. So I do want to speak on behalf of the Housing Task Force and do want to encourage you to support uh, the concept plan for the PUD. Thank you, Grant. Public comments. If you have additional public comment, we'll need you to come up on the blue mat and express those. Other public comments? Other public comments or questions? Hearing none, um, we'll invite the petitioner back up for final comments. 
you like me to say my name again? Or, no, no, just go ahead, start talking. Okay, thanks. Um, so first off, uh, thank you for your comments. Uh, thank you for taking the time to come here tonight and let me know your concerns. Um, they're all very valid. Um, I also, uh, husband, father, I have four kids, seven, five, uh, one, and eight weeks. So obviously our lives are all very different, um, but I do understand from a father, from a family standpoint. Um, and I do understand your concerns. Um, and I'm going to take all of these into uh, consideration. I'm gonna take, take a step back, look at what we have here. Uh, I, I do wanna clarify some of the things that I heard tonight. Uh, we talked about height, we talked about congestion in traffic, uh, whether it's at an intersection, whether it's through traffic, whether it's on either street. We talked about density, we talked about other developments, we talked about uh, infrastructure potential issues. We talked about, is there an on-site manager? We talked about um, the setbacks, whether it's five feet or 20 feet. What is that? Why did we do that? How did we get there? How did we arrive at that? Uh, we also talked about privacy. We talked about green space. Now, am I going to address all of these today? No, I'm not. Uh, we've talked about some of these um, already. Now, what I can do is I can come back, I can, um, in our next meeting, I can come back with a little bit more um, explanation as to how we've arrived at uh, the plan that we have. Um, as to an on-site manager, yes. With uh, the size of this development, we would have an on-site manager. Um, it's, it's critical, actually, uh, in terms of safety, in terms of cleanliness, in terms of uh, it's presentability, it's walkability, um, little things like trash, little things like rust on a, uh, on a uh, bike. I apologize, if you could address us, that'd be great. Thank yeah. you. Sorry. Uh, so all of these concerns that were brought up today, um, I'm just I'm grateful for, we'll take into account, uh, we'll come back with some more um, information for, for everybody. Is there any? Other questions of me tonight? Any other questions, commissioners? Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, there was, um, I forget which gentleman talked about uh, kind of urban versus suburban, mm -hmm. and this was maybe more urban like from what they were conceptualizing. It doesn't look that urban to me, uh, but the fit and matching the neighborhood was that also taken into account? Um, this is more of a um, suburban area, kind of between suburban and urban. Uh, so I just trying to wrap my head around that and what you guys thought about that. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, urban and suburban, like uh, very similar to density, everybody has a relative definition of what that might be, right? right? You know, it's mm -hmm. um, the hand that we're dealt a lot of times and what we're looking at. now. Uh, in terms of how we're looking at this is more urban is the setbacks. You bring the buildings closer to the sidewalks, it has more of a neighbor, neighborly feel, but it's not super, super high. I mean, yes, it is three stories, and, and that is um, um, taller than a home, 
right? But we bring the uh, uh, structures up closer to the sidewalk to give it more of that walkability, to give it more of that neighbor neighborlyhood feel. But that is where we also mix the urban and suburban, right? Because it is in a neighborhood. It is walkable. Um, but it's hard to say extremely urban, right? Because we're not doing 10-foot floors or, or, excuse me, 15-foot first story. And so we, we integrate different designs into the buildings through uh, uh, whether it's doorsteps or stoops or whether it's uh, stairs or whether it's where the windows are. We just integrate different things. I'm not saying that's exactly what we're doing, but uh, it gives you an idea that we're looking at oh, different that, things. That, that's helpful. Is it all interior access to the um, units? Um, we have not fully... Um, we're kind of going back and forth on the design on that uh, because there's positives of both right. and negatives. Because uh, you talk about up to the lot line, you'd think, okay, you could just correct. go into the unit off of that, but it's all interior We'd access. be looking at uh, different things from um, safety in terms of aesthetic, in terms of uh, efficiency of units and sustainability of, of energy. We'd be looking at all those different things to make a final decision on what that looks like, but we're, we're weighing them both. There, there's positive and, and negatives. Um, before I um, jump to the next one, though, as to the neighborhood in, in design, um, we always try to take a complementary approach to what's around. We do not want something to stick out by any means. We want it to blend, and we also want it to be like a modern timeless. I know modern can be scary, um, but modern is also really important to sustainability and to new building structures. So modern, timeless feel that's not crazy colors, that looks good, and it looks good for a really long time. And it also looks clean for a really long time. Thank you. Other final questions? All right. Thank you, John. Thank you. All right. We will go into deliberation and possible decision by the Planning Commission. Uh, I'll start. I, I kind of live in that neighborhood. I live in Wingate Village, and I walk by that property. Now that they're building a new community center, I walk more, <coughs> more east lawn than I do Haley to, to get there. And I guess I'm a little bit torn on this. The, the, my main concern relates to just the scale of this. And I can tie this to one of the eligibility criteria, uh, C number four, that says land use patterns established by the PUD development shall be compatible with existing and planned uses on and adjacent to the site. And uh, it, my main concern has to do with the scale, which is some sense just mitigated by the size of the parcel. It's six acres. And you're going to knock the scales a little bit out of whack just because of the size of the parcel you're developing. But the main concern I have is, is a three-story. And that, to me, isn't compatible with uh, some of the adjacent properties. Now, I realize that the complex I live in kind of has three stories, mm -hmm. but it's kind of what they call a garden unit, and they don't tower like that. Uh, the uh, uh, Cleveland Manor has three stories, but they've kind of finessed that too, 
with how high they are above grade from you know walking by there a lot. And if I just look at kind of what's happening here, they mentioned these other developments, but just to put the scale in perspective, uh, Wingate's 50 units, Cleveland, I checked today, and at least on the website, if I remember correctly, is 105 units. The thing that's going on on Patrick and Bayless, if I remember correctly, that's 50 units. So we're, we're putting in something that scale that can't help kind of throw the neighborhood out of kilter. Now, it would be allowed under RB just because use by right if it were two stories. And Let me, so, if, if I could jump in on that. So just to be clear, RB has a base height limit that's modifiable with additional setback. Based on the proposed okay. interior side setback of the project, we are one foot shy of an appropriate setback under the RB base allowance for a five-story building. We, we also need to keep in mind to the context yeah. and the future land use, and I can pull those maps back up if we need right. to. This is a high-density residential future land use right. area. Not, not this property specifically, because at the time our master plan was adopted, this was a school. And yeah. so correspondingly, I'm sure whoever put the map together went and found all the Midland Public Schools properties and put a public service, yeah. a public use, future land use on it. But everything north and south of it is high density residential future land use. Everything north and in east of it, everything north, south and east of it is also multiple family residential zoning. So well, everything regulatorily in terms of a framework here says that the future of this area is higher density than what exists today. But the criteria says not just future, it's not just planned use, it says existing use. Sure. And, and, and the existing use, I mean, there's a lot of RB there, as you pointed out a couple of meetings ago. Most of the RB is actually occupied by single family houses. And Princeton Court, uh, going down to Maple, uh, Cherry, and Walnut, yeah, it's, it's zoned RB. But it's, it's existing use is single family. Similarly, down Haley, there's a lot of stuff that's zoned RB. But again, the criteria says we don't only consider what's planned, we consider what's existing. And three-story isn't really compatible with what exists. The apartments that went in right across the street, are those three stories? Those are two. Those are two with a higher pitch roof. So height-wise, it's probably just about the same. A 30, you could very easily in an older structure have exceed 30 feet for a two-story home with the, the roof pitch. Yeah, because yeah, the pitch on the roof. looking at the roof pitch. Well, true. Yeah, but I mean, and again, I would point out, let's keep in mind, we have a 60-foot interior yeah. side setback. That's not 60 feet to a home. That's 60 feet to a property line. Yeah. To a property line. You know, I. There's been a lot shared tonight. I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of what was shared. Yeah. I think I'll just say that you could probably go to any planning commission meeting in any community in America, and if a multiple family project was proposed, you would hear a lot of this right. feedback. Yeah. Most of it, I understand why people are frightened about change and mm -hmm. frightened about projects, but there's, there's very little evidence that, that multifamily housing creates crime or fosters crime, yeah. that multiple family housing is gonna have a negative impact on property values. In fact, most 
evidence is that yeah. projects like this increase property values yes. in neighborhoods. That there's there's just been a, there's been a lot of accusations thrown at the project that I think take away from what we're really talking about, which is homes for people. We're not talking about siting a Walmart on the yeah. lot or a nuclear waste facility. These are houses for people, who many of whom will probably be moving there, as someone one of the speakers indicated from other places in Midland. Yeah. These will probably be the highest quality multiple family housing units we have available in the community that aren't at an astronomical price point. We certainly have some really high-end units, a very small number of them, but those do exist. But the opportunity to create a higher quality housing product for people who have kids, who work in Midland, who, who, who have reason to be here, you know, I, I think just globally, I think if, if we took an approach to every project that had ever been built in Midland, so if we step back in time and said, yeah. imagine coming forward with Midland High School today, if that light side was vacant. Imagine the public feedback you would receive if someone proposed to build a high school there. I guarantee you, you would hear that the traffic can't support it. Yeah. It's going to destroy the neighborhood. There's going to be too much noise. And yet it's an important part of our fabric as a community. That's virtually true of everything in the neighborhood. I, I don't think any, any reduction of scale or modification of the plan is going to take away the fact that new development does prompt concern for neighbors. Um, we certainly don't need another park in Midland at this location. We have an 18-acre park no. across the street and a regional yeah. serving community center. Um, and that's not the only park within walking distance to the no, site. Right, that right. just happens yeah. to be the biggest. Um, and we're in a district that is, again, it's a high-density residential district. That is the, that is the intent. That that's is the, the intent, but that's not what the... PUD criteria explicitly states. It, it states that that's one of many factors yeah. to consider, though. I'll, I'll just also, while it I says have all the following shall be met, not one and way. I'm, I mean, read the regular. It says under C, all the following shall be met, and shall is an emphatic case. I mean, it's. Okay. Uh, yeah, overall, I, I like the design and things like that. Um, not certain about the uh, three-story aspect of it, but it meets the uh, requirements that are outlined within our regulations, and I'd like to make a motion. I'll make that motion for you, uh, assuming that Commissioners Decrow and McCoy or Broderick have nothing further to add. I'll make a motion that we uh, approve uh, plan unit development number 21, or recommend approval of plan unit development 21 to City Council. Second. I have a motion from Commissioner Collinger and a motion from Commissioner Mayville to recommend approval of plan unit development number 21 to City Council. Will you please call roll? Decrow? Yes. Mayville? Yes. Bain? No. McCoy? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Collinger? Yes. I motion passes five to one. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Mike, for being here tonight. Appreciate all the public comments that were provided. Yes, just a second. If it's, uh, could we take a five-minute break since it is two and a half hours in? All right, we will adjourn for five minutes. We will reconvene at 9.45, please.
Good evening and welcome back to the regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission, uh, reconvening at 949. Uh, next item on our agenda is zoning text amendment number 164. Turn it over to you for the presentation. Mr. Chair, our next public hearing is for zoning text amendment number 164. This would implement uh, additional standards for the center city overlay in article 21 of the zoning ordinance, which is our business district section. The proposal, as I said, is to adopt additional standards for the center city overlay zoning district. Um, center city uh, was created in 2008 as a tax increment finance authority. Um, authorized by Midland City Council, and the intent was to provide an environment for success that leads to sustainable economic growth in Midland Circle area and South Saginaw Business District. The Center City Overlay Zoning District was originally implemented in 2015, and at that time to the present date, the Overlay Zoning District has only included uh, additional standards for signs. Um, it was, however, created with the intention that there would be additional zoning standards implemented at a later date. So just to go over what a zoning overlay is and how it works, typically a zoning overlay is utilized to add to, delete, or modify existing base zoning standards. So the base zoning being the zoning district that applies to the properties. So in an overlay district, typically you have a base zoning and then the overlay is on top of that. Um, hence the name overlay. Um, where there's not a modification, addition, or deletion to those base zoning standards, um, the base zoning standards continue to apply. So just as a broad example, if you had a 15-foot setback requirement under base zoning, an overlay might say actually that setback is going to be 30 feet. Um, conversely, the overlay might be silent on setback, and if that's the case, the base zoning standard would continue to apply. Currently within the center city overlay area, uh, we have six different zoning districts as base zoning districts. Circle, community commercial, regional commercial, office service, multiple family residential, and RA1 single family residential. I put an asterisk on RA1 single family residential because your next public hearing tonight is a zoning petition that would actually modify that to remove the one property that's currently RA1 single family residential to rezone that to Circle, which would eliminate that from the list of base zonings within uh, the center city overlay area. On the screen, you'll see a map depicting the center city overlay area, uh, which currently, um, pending your action on that next zoning petition, is coincident with the um, center city authorities boundary. So we're basically talking about an area of Saginaw Road running from the north at Manor Drive to the south um, to US 10. Um, this includes properties along that entire corridor that are fronting on Saginaw Road with the exception of the apartments and condominiums that are located at the corner of Saginaw and East Lawn uh, on the west side of that intersection. Um, so right now, currently, predominantly a business or office-oriented district. It does include Ashman Circle and the properties surrounding that, including Kroger and the Law Enforcement Center. Further to the south, it includes the shopping centers that are on Saginaw Road, as well as those that are on Washington Street. Center City uh, Authority adopted, uh, actually recommended adoption and uh, City Council authorized a redevelopment plan for the district in 2019. That plan established a vision for the future of the district, which included the idea that it would be uh, more vibrant, walkable, and mixed use in the future. There are several recommendations coming out of that plan. One of them was the streetscaping project that's currently underway on South Saginaw Road but it also included other recommendations such as zoning updates. And that's what brings us here tonight with this zoning overlay uh, update is another step in implementing that center city redevelopment plan. 
Back in April of 2021, the Planning Commission received an update on basically the parameters of this zoning update. And so those had gone to the Centre City Authority, they were endorsed, they came forward to the Planning Commission, and at that time you voted unanimously to continue working on the amendments. So let's dig into the amendments themselves in more specificity. So first of all, this proposed zoning text amendment would establish a purpose for the center city overlays that's not currently contained in the business district's article. And so that is shown on the screen. I'm not gonna belabor that since we're approaching 10 o'clock at night, but essentially the purpose of the district is to implement the vision that's established by the center city redevelopment plan. So increasing walkability, making it a more vibrant and mixed use environment, creating a better quality of development and really respecting the context of the circle and the existing development patterns that exist in that, in that district. In terms of applicability, so the question of when, does, when do these overlay standards apply, as drafted, these overlay standards would apply any time a property owner made application for administrative site plan review, a site plan review that comes before planning commission or a conditional land use permit. I would note that sign standards that already exist in the code for the center city overlay would continue to be implemented as they are today for all sign projects in the overlay area with no changes proposed either to the applicability or the regulations themselves. This zoning text amendment would apply to the entirety of the center city overlay area, but per the recommendations coming out of the redevelopment plan, there would be two subject districts created that reflect some differences in context within the district. And so center city overlay A would be the areas north and west of Dartmouth Drive, including Ashman Circle. These are areas that generally have an existing condition with very limited to no setback. Um, they're generally commercial buildings that are running right on the sidewalk. And as such, the center city overlay area, area as we move further into the dimensional standards is, is more urban in character. Center city overlay B would be the areas south and east of Dartmouth Drive. And so these are currently areas that are more auto oriented and include uh, shopping centers like Eastlawn Plaza, Midland Town Center, and some of our more drive-through oriented businesses, including several drive-through restaurants. And so the center city overlay B regulations still look to reinforce walkability and pedestrian orientation, still introduce flexibility for redevelopment in the corridor and mixed uses, but provide a little bit more flexibility on building placement. Um, that really in on land use, which reflect that um, current character as well as the proposed vision under the redevelopment plan. So jumping into modifications to the proposed uses and structures. So as I said, an overlay can add to, delete or modify a base zoning standard. And so right here, we're talking about additions, deletions and modifications to proposed uses and structures. So within the center city overlay, the proposed language would allow the same uses allowed under the base zoning with these modifications. It would allow for some additional uses within the district, and so those would include dwelling units on upper floors above business establishments and live work units, multiple family dwellings, and townhouses. It would establish some additional conditional land uses for the overlay area. Um, those would include drive-through uses, um, center city overlay B only when also permitted by underlying zoning. So essentially within that center city overlay B area, drive-through uses would become a conditional land use. Banks and credit unions with drive-through windows would be permitted in the center city overlay A area and they would be the only drive-through use permitted in that area and they would be permitted only through a conditional land use permit. 
And then finally, buildings with a front or side street setback exceeding 100 feet within the center city overlay B area. So we'll talk a little bit more about the dimensional standards in a moment, but because the center city overlay B area is more permissive on building placement, this requirement would give the planning commission and city council more control over the formatted development where we have, would have a large to excessively large proposed setback condition. So by establishing that 100 foot window, it gives that additional scrutiny to those projects to ensure they're compatible with their surroundings. In terms of deletion, so use is not permitted, as I noted, within the center city overlay A area, only banks and credit unions with drive-throughs would be permitted, no other drive-through establishments. This just kind of reinforces that, regardless of the base zoning allowance, that those other drive-through uses would not be permitted. Looking at area height, bulk, and setback, so in within all parts of the center city overlay, the modification would permit a zero setback condition at the front property line. So this would allow for a more urban and pedestrian oriented development um, to take place at any uh, location within the overlay. It would establish maximum front setbacks within the center city overlay A of 10 feet and within the center city overlay B of 100 feet without the approval of a conditional land use permit. For minimum side street setbacks, those would be proposed to be the same as the minimum front of zero. And for maximum side street setbacks, um, I'm sorry, minimum, for maximum, they would also reflect the requirements for the maximum front setback of 10 feet in center city overlay A and 100 feet in center city overlay B without uh, approval of a conditional land use permit. Minimum side setbacks in all areas would be zero. Minimum rear setbacks would be zero. Maximum building height is recommended to not be regulated within the district and building facades would be required to occupy a minimum of 60% of the lot width within the minimum and maximum front setback areas. So this is really with the intention of building a, a pedestrian oriented building wall, which is similar to what exists within the district currently, um, particularly in the center city overlay A area. In terms of building orientation, at least one principal entrance of all buildings would need to face the front lot line. On corner lots, the entrance could face the corner and the planning commission would have an opportunity to approve an alternate. And this is really to reinforce walkability and activation of the, of the streets within the district. Within center city overlay A, uh, there would be a requirement that between the building and the front lot line, such as there might be a setback, that that area include amenities such as patios, landscaping, or benches for seating. No blank walls would be permitted facing the front or side street lot line. So again, a method to activate, provide eyes on the street uh, and create a vibrant uh, walkable environment. And within two and 10 feet above the sidewalk, at least 30% of the ground floor facade uh, area facing a street would need to be clear windows and doorways within the center city overlay A area. So the area with a more urban character would need to have meet that minimum level of glazing. I will tell you 30% glazing is a fairly easy standard to hit. I've worked in a community that had a 70% minimum glazing requirement. That, that was still attainable, but required a little bit more architectural gymnastics. 30% is very much an attainable standard. In terms of access management, all driveways would need to continue to follow the uh, requirements of the zoning ordinance as it regards access management, as well as those design guidelines identified within the redevelopment plan. 
This would provide the Planning Commission with some additional flexibility to address relocation, redesign, or closure of existing driveways in order to approve spacing, to improve alignment, or increase offset from driveways located on the opposite side of the street, or to mitigate safety issues on the public street. And so as we put this together, we felt like it was important for the Planning Commission to have some flexibility on the access management standards, given that this is largely a built-out context. And implementing driveways and parking lots on these smaller lots can be very difficult. And so this provides the Planning Commission with some, some both leverage with developers, but also some flexibility to work with developers to get a uh, product that's gonna uh, result in the best conditions for each individual site. So with that, with, when driveway spacing standards cannot be met, which is likely gonna be uh, many cases within this corridor, um, driveways shall be located as close as possible to the center of the block uh, with consideration of alignment or offset from those on the opposite side. The Planning Commission can require shared access between adjacent sites uh, with easements recorded um, to facilitate consolidation of driveways and limit the number of conflict points um, for both pedestrians and vehicles on the roadway. So moving into parking requirements and design standards, uh, the required vehicle parking setbacks within the center city A area, there would be no parking permitted in front yards. That's consistent with the requirement of building the building up to the front of the lot. Within the center city B area, the required front setback for parking would be five feet minimum. That would be the same standard applied to side streets as well. Side and rear setbacks for parking in both cases for center city overlay A and B would be five feet at the side and rear. The zoning text amendment uh, includes a recommendation to eliminate parking requirements within the center city overlay A area. Again, the areas to the north and west of Dartmouth Drive. Within the center city overlay B, the recommendation is that the minimum parking required for any use shall be one half of the parking currently required under Article 5 and provide an opportunity for the Planning Commission to further reduce that minimum parking requirement upon a showing of good cause. So an opportunity for the Planning Commission to consider a variety of factors and make a determination as to the appropriate amount of parking for an individual development site. I think this is probably one of the most critical changes that's contained within this overlay zone because this unlocks the potential um, not only to redevelop existing sites that were likely developed before the city's current vehicular parking standards were put into place, but also to add height in a mix of uses on sites where, frankly, um, in many cases, you end up with a postage stamp size building and a giant parking lot, and that's really at odds with the vision for the district. So this provides the regulatory framework to actually achieve that vision. In terms of parking lot landscaping, parking lots should continue to be landscaped in accordance with the existing standards contained in the ordinance. Where parking is visible from a street, landscaping would be required between the parking lots and the street. Specific to this district, a brick or stone screen wall three feet in height would be required between the parking lot and the sidewalk um, instead of what is currently contained in section 602, which is an earth berm. An earth berms really would be an inappropriate treatment in a, a context like this where we're in a more dense business environment. The Planning Commission would be enabled to provide for full or partial substitution of ornamental fencing. So similar to what you might see in some of the projects along the Indian and Buttles corridor, we, where we have some screening that might include a brick or stone pillar and an aluminum screening fencing, um, paired with a hedgerow as an alternate form of screening. This can be done for a variety of reasons, including cost factors. Um, particularly if you have a very large area to screen, this could be um, some flexibility the Planning Commission can offer while still achieving the intent of reinforcing the street wall um, and providing that visual screening. 
The center city overlay would also implement bicycle parking standards, which we do not currently have elsewhere in the ordinance. Um, it, the current draft includes bicycle parking at a rate of one bicycle parking space for each 10 vehicle parking spaces provided um, with a caveat that no single use be required to provide more than 15 bicycle parking spaces. It provides that bicycle parking be located to prevent interference with pedestrian pathways. This can be a common design issue where pedestrian or bicycle parking is located near the entrance, which is good, but if it's not provided sufficient space, it can block pedestrian pathways. It further says that bicycle parking shall be designed and installed in accordance with essentials of bike parking, which is an American Bicycle and Pedestrian Association document. So really what this gets to is if we're gonna ask people to build bicycle parking, they should build bicycle parking that bicyclists will wanna park at. They will facilitate safe bicycle parking. So I like to use the example when people question this of saying, well, similarly to why the city requires an 18 foot depth on a parking stall for a vehicle, because otherwise it wouldn't be usable. We should require that a vehicle, a bicycle parking spot is similarly usable. And so you often hear, well, there's all this bicycle parking nobody uses. This will hopefully ensure that for folks who wanna use it, it's in fact usable. In terms of drive-through standards, drive-through standards would be required to minimize their impact to the public street by providing appropriate on-site stacking to prevent any spillover into the public right away. And I think that's especially important in this district where we're trying to increase walkability uh, we want to ensure that that, that stacking space is provided on the private site and not impacting the public space. In terms of pedestrian standards, all sites would be required to provide a direct pedestrian pathway between the public sidewalk and that required front principal entrance to the building. Those pathways would need to be five feet minimum in width and where they cross the parking area, they would need to be constructed of a material in contrast to the lot's primary surface. So for instance, if you had an asphalt parking lot, a concrete pathway to delineate the presence of the pedestrian path would be required. Maneuvering lanes would need to be designed to minimize conflict with the pedestrian pathway and where conflicts were necessary to facilitate vehicular traffic, signage would need to be provided that indicates that the pedestrian has the right of way. And finally, where sidewalk cafes are provided, and we all agree that sidewalk cafes would be a great addition to adding to the vitality of the district, we just wanna make sure that they are not obstructing the pedestrian path. So we would need to maintain a minimum six foot pathway along the sidewalk in those instances. So the review criteria for a zoning text amendment include, is the amendment consistent with the city's master plan? Have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justify the amendment? Was there a mistake in the zoning ordinance that justifies the amendment? Will the amendment correct an inequity created by the zoning ordinance? Will the amendment merely grant special privileges? And will the amendment result in an unlawful exclusionary zoning? So in staff's analysis, the current city master plan states that the center city authority should work with the planning commission to identify zoning ordinance amendments that will provide more flexibility for creative mixed use developments in the center city authority areas, which is exactly what this amendment package is designed to do. I further have highlighted within uh, figure 8.1 of the current city master plan, that section um, that relates to the desire to um, enhance the circle district and South Saginaw roads. The proposed zoning text amendment aligns with the center city redevelopment plan and is in fact necessary to support its implementation. The proposed zoning text amendment re removes a number of obstacles that are prohibiting quality development from taking place within the district at the present time. And I think importantly, the zoning text amendment is supported by the Center City Authority. So I was able to give a similar presentation to the Center City Authority last month. They were, I think, a lot less tired when I was presenting to them than you all are. Um, so I won't hold it against you if you're falling asleep during this presentation. Um, but they unanimously voted to recommend that the city or the Planning Commission and City Council adopt this text amendment package.
Can we ask questions here? Yeah, I'm at the end of the presentation, so oh. I'll, I'll wrap it up just by simply saying, staff's recommendation is that you recommend that City Council approve the zoning text amendment. We've received no public comments to date, and we are at really the second step in this process because we did give that presentation to Center City Authority with your public hearing tonight. Uh, assuming you uh, move a recommendation forward tonight, it will go to uh, City Council to set a public hearing on Monday. The public hearing would take place on January the 9th. Questions? Great. Yeah, a few slides back, you said uh, obstacles to development. I don't remember exactly what it said. No, forward. Right there. The second bullet point removes obstacles. So was there something that wasn't uh, developed in the area because of what we currently have? So that was, a, that was one of my first questions when I met with Selena to talk about. So Selena Tisdale Harris, our uh, Center City Authority um, staff liaison, to, to, I asked that question. Um, no, but I will tell you oftentimes when people look at the zoning and they see what's allowed and if they're not allowed to do what they wanna do, they don't call the city of Midland. It doesn't even rise to that level. Um, those regulations do send a signal and if you look around at commercial properties, you'll often see that the zoning designation is listed on the for sale sign. Because folks wanna know that they can do what they wanna do before they reach out. Um, right now, a good portion of the district is located in the regional commercial zoning category, which has large front and side setback requirements. Um, that right there, given the existing character of um, the corridor, really inhibits even projects that might not perfectly align with the vision of the district, like a new fast food restaurant, still have a lot of obstacles in their way to be built in the existing conditions that are out there today. So um, removing these obstacles, I think, is gonna facilitate improvement to existing buildings and potentially facilitate larger, more significant redevelopment projects that um, hopefully there will be uh, market support for in the future. Okay, thank you. Yeah, other questions? Yeah, I have a couple real quick ones. As I talked to Jacob, on, if you look at section 21.02, uh, permitted uses and structures under item E, I don't think that makes sense as a grammatical sentence. And just, I think one of the as is should be an is, but just, you know, we're, it's tired, we're both kind of cross-eyed and have somebody look at that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is there's a real good table of uses. Will uh, the center city overlays be added to that or did I just miss it? Uh, that's a great question. So um, we did not modify the table directly. The modifications to the table are in the center city overlay text yeah. itself. Uh, and that's simply because we're dealing with currently six potentially yeah. soon to be five base zoning districts. Yeah. The complexity, there was, I think, just simply too much opportunity for error yeah. to, it, it, as we started to build that's that out, one. the table itself became uh, extremely confusing okay, to so use. And we were talking about a relatively few number of modifications, and so it just yeah. made sense to capture those elsewhere. Maybe just for you know five years out, somebody looking at this, you might just want to have an asterisk that said center city overlay or something is in the text or something. You know, just consider that. I'm not going to hold. One place I saw a kind of a sidewalk minimum of five feet, or was that just the walkways within a parking lot? That would be the pedestrian pathway from the public. Okay, so sidewalk. five feet's adequate for that. If we were talking sidewalks like on Saginaw Road, you know, I, you know, I, 
wouldn't want that. And somewhere I thought I read something about the uh, no parking in the center city A in front of buildings. That would be on the private site. So that we're not, not street parking, but parking, no parking areas can be built in front of a building in that center city area. What, what worries me is like on Ashman Circle. Which uh, is public parking. Oh, that's public parking. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Great question. Hi, Greg. Um, you're looking at the uh, bicycle regulations. Great idea. You know, that they can fit in and people use them. We're putting in these wider new sidewalks and doing the uh, cityscape, whatever center cityscape. Maybe we should have put or take a look at bicycle lanes separate from the sidewalks where people walk. Just something that's popped in my head. I don't know if we want to uh, look at regulations like that. If you're going to look at you know, accommodating bicycles, maybe we should have had different bicycle lanes for them. Just something else to think about. Um, when it comes to height, uh, overlay district is silent, correct? So correct. the underlying height restrictions in the underlying districts would be enforced, correct? No. So the um, overlay is um, not silent in the manner I took. In the oh, manner it says I took that there it, is, is no. It explicitly states that height is not regulated. Which overrides anything. So it overrides the base zoning. Okay. Uh, my concern would be is that um, we, downtown here we've got most of the buildings at two stories and one that's at <laughs> three. <laughs> so. Just an observation. Yeah, and I mean, frankly, we had we had some conversation about that because it becomes a game of well, what's the appropriate height? Yeah. Um, we looked at some projects. There, there was at one point uh, a height in included in this language, and when we looked at the Ellsworth Place project on Ellsworth Street, yeah. just up the street from City Hall, um, you know, and no knock on that project, but it's a relatively squat-looking building. It doesn't have the traditional height characteristics of a downtown building. And that building itself exceeded what it was originally in the draft language. And I, I think, hopefully, we would all agree that slightly higher than that would certainly be more than, than adequate here. Um, what I found in, in my career, at least, is that very often when you start getting down the rabbit hole of what's the right number, sometimes the answer is just, do we need to regulate yeah. this? Yep. And there's enough factors that play into building height considerations, cost being a big one, and building code ramifications of going taller, that I, I think the likelihood that someone's gonna come along and, and wanna build something 20 stories tall in this district is low. Um, frankly, if we were in a land value environment where someone felt that that was a market, um, market feasible project, like we should be so lucky, I don't think we're, we're there or will be there in our lifetimes, but um, this just ensures that we don't end up in a place where we're sending somebody to the Zoning Board of Appeals for a one-foot yeah. height variance for a project that has broad support. Okay. Other questions? All right. Do we have a presentation from the petitioner, or is that you? I'm the petitioner. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll open the uh, floor then for public comments. Public comments or questions? Hearing none, uh, does the petitioner have any final comments? I do that. All right. Deliberation and possible decision by Planning Commission. 
Hearing none, I will make a motion that we approve, recommend approval of zoning text amendment number 164 to City Council. I second. Motion for Commissioner Collinger, a second for Commissioner Mayville to recommend approval of zoning text amendment number 164 to City Council. Will you please call roll? Decker? Yes. Mayville? Yes. Bain? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Roderick? Yes. Collinger? Yes. It passes six to zero. Okay. Next item on our agenda is uh, public hearing for zoning petition number 648, which if memory serves me correctly is, I think you said tie barred at our last meeting uh, with what we just recommended for approval as well, correct? Well, you could typically with tie bar, kind of, I, I'm sure I said that, typically implies that you can't do one without the other. These are just very heavily associated text amendments. Gotcha. This arises out of the zoning text amendment you just considered. So. Uh, Planning Commission, the next item, our last public hearing tonight is zoning petition number 648. Again, uh, City of Midland Planning Commission or Planning Department is the applicant. We have multiple property owners. Um, this particular zoning petition involves eight parcels of land located in Center City with a total of 2.23 acres. And I'll run really briefly through um, the, the properties and the proposed changes to zoning. So. First property is 2923 and 2927 Manor Drive. Um, this is a property owned by Manor Place LLC. It is currently a lot that consists of two office buildings um, under common ownership. The lot is currently split zoned RA1 and Circle with a center city overlay applying to both. Staff's recommendation and proposal tonight is that the entire property be located in the Circle District with center city overlay applied um, this would align with the existing land use of the property, which is office, which currently one building is conforming, one, the other identical building is non-conforming as a result of the current zoning map. The remainder of the properties are properties that are currently located in the C-Circle District with Center City Overlay that staff's recommendation is to remove from the overlay and to rezone to the RB multiple family residential category. And so, the first three of those properties are located at the intersection of East Ashman and Cambridge Street, and those properties are owned by Reese Endeavor. If you've been through that area recently, you will note that in the last year, um, two duplex style homes have been constructed on two of these three lots by uh, the Midland Public Schools through the Building Trades Program in association with the City of Midland. There is a third vacant lot um, on which the Reese Endeavor does eventually intend to construct a similar structure. Um, those structures would be inconsistent with the center city overlay A intent of creating that street wall and vibrant pedestrian environment. They are east of Cambridge Street, so they are sort of removed from the business environment of Ashman Circle to a degree. And so staff's recommending that residential B multiple family makes more sense given that context. It also reflects and relates to zoning and land uses to the south and east. 209 Cambridge Street is adjacent to those three recent Endeavor properties. That property is owned by the city of Midland. It's currently used um, as the center, um, the circle area community garden. Again, we, given the existing and uh, future land use categories of the surrounding area, staff's recommending that that be shifted into the RB multiple family residential category. And then finally, the last three properties are located on Mertz Street. So generally speaking, north and west of Kroger, these are 116, 120, and 126 Mertz. These properties are three owner-occupied single-family dwellings. 
currently located in the C Circle District with Center City Overlay. The Circle District does not permit single family dwellings, so those are legally non-conforming uses with all of the challenges uh, associated with that status. Staff's recommendation of rezoning to RB multifamily residential would provide the typical buffer to the adjacent Circle Commercial District. These properties back to Ashman Circle, and so it provides for that appropriate relationship. Given that uh, City Council recently approved an earlier text amendment recommended by the Planning Commission, which added single-family dwellings as a permitted use within the RBE multiple-family district, um, staff feels that that would be uh, appropriate and consistent um, zoning district to consider for those properties. So to provide you with an overview, so I've kind of described the locations, you'll see that the split zone property on uh, Manor Drive is located to the far um, top left corner of the map. This is the far northwest extent of the Center City Overlay area. So about the, the northern boundary of the Center City Overlay is coincident with the northwest property line of this property. The three properties on Mertz Street that are proposed rezoning are shown kind of in the center part of the diagram. And you'll see, as I noted, they do back to Ashman Circle. They are roughly just to the north and west of uh, Kroger and uh, Rite Aid. And then finally, the last four properties included in this, in this petition are located at the southeast corner of East Ashman Street and Cambridge Street, running between East Ashman and Edwin. You'll see we kind of have a mixed character there. We've got the business uses running on Ashman Circle to the west. To the south and east, we have some apartment homes. To the immediately immediate east, we have some single-family dwellings and townhouses. This is just zooming in. This is the property on Manor Drive. You'll see the two office buildings I referenced one of which is currently in the Circle District, this one is not. These are the four properties located at East Ashman and Cambridge. Um, this is before the construction on the two duplex dwellings, one of which exists here and one here. And then these are the three properties on Merch Street, which currently contain um, three owner-occupied single-family dwellings. Future land use for these properties is, of course, a bit of a mixed bag, um, given that they're in different locations. The three properties on Mertz are located within a uh, mixed-use center future land use designation. The property on Manor Drive has a future land use designation of commercial. And the properties at East Ashman and Cambridge are, are kind of a hodgepodge. We have some medium-density residential, some high-density residential, and some mixed-use center future land use. So we've got a lot going on on a very small area of land. In terms of zoning, um, most of the properties, uh, all of these properties, save for the partial property on Manor Drive are currently zoned circle, and the properties to there, um, as you head into the circle, are also zoned circle. As you head out from these properties, you're primarily moving into residential districts, whether they be multiple family or single family residential. As you know, we have a proposed purpose for the center city overlay, which is primarily to create a vibrant, walkable, mixed-use environment within Ashman Circle and the Saginaw Road and Washington Street corridors. The Circle District is intended to provide um, retail, personal service, and related commercial uses around Ashman Circle. Um, these are really meant to meet daily shopping and service needs of residents and surrounding areas in the broader community. And this Circle District was created, obviously, as the name implies, especially for Ashman Circle, predates the Center City overlay and was really the first attempt by the City of Midland to create and recognize the unique character of the Circle Business District. So as such, some of the uses permitted in that district, as you would expect, are the uses you'd find there today, uh, which are shown on the screen. 
Residential B is a district that's intended to provide for attached housing at a higher density than, it's than is otherwise allowed in our residential A districts. And it's also often used as a transition between single family residential development and more intense development. Here are, is an example of some of the uses that are permitted in residential B. So we'll go very quickly through these criteria and I'll just generally summarize to state the proposal does align with the city's master plan and future land use map. Development, essentially the, the existing conditions of these sites is consistent with the proposed zoning for each of the lots. We do have a change of conditions here since the zoning ordinance was adopted, um, that primarily being the center city redevelopment plan and then with our pending implementation of a more broad-based center city overlay that would justify making these zoning map changes. There's no special privileges granted through this proposed um, zoning petition. It's going to uh, create and facilitate land uses that are compatible with development in their um, nearby areas. Um, staff believes it will not set an inappropriate precedent given that it does align with the master plan the proposed zoning is in line with zoning classifications on surrounding land and does align with the city master plan. It will allow, these lots can be developed in a manner consistent with the proposed zoning designations. And it does reflect recent trends in land development and anticipated future trends. So, so we've obviously had conversations with all of the impacted property owners. The city of Midland is one of those owners. Um, we've spoken with the Reese Endeavor about the proposal, they're supportive. Uh, we've spoken to the owner of the Manor Drive property, they are supportive of the change. They weren't aware that the property was currently split zoned. It actually appears, it appears that before 2005 under the old zoning map that the property was not split zoned. And so it's unclear whether the split zoning was intentional or not. This owner owned the property then, he, he did not request the change. Um, and so it may have been a map error, uh, but nevertheless, it's a very clearly drawn uh, line. So it is the zoning map. Um, and then we sent letters to the Mert Street property owners. Um, I've heard from one of the three only, um, spoke with her today, and she was supportive of the proposal once it was explained to her what we were looking to do. We did send those letters well in advance of scheduling the public hearing. So those owners have, and all of these owners have been notified twice once directly from the city as owners that were impacted and again through the public notification process. We've received no written public comments. Staff is recommending approval of the zoning petition for many of the usual reasons in addition to the fact that this will help to align the zoning in the area with the redevelopment plan and the implementation of the expanded overlay district regulations. So tonight is the first step of the process with your public hearing. Uh, we will assume that if a recommendation is made tonight, this will reach city council for public hearing on January the 9th. Any questions? 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 All right. Uh, go ahead and welcome public comments or questions. <laughs> public comments or questions. Seeing none, I'll go ahead and close the public hearing and then go into deliberation and decision by the Planning Commission. Greg. Yeah, I uh, support these changes. I think they're appropriate. I'm familiar with that area there. I generally uh, do you know, shopping and go around in that area there and I think it's appropriate. I know what's going on with the Midland Public Schools with the building, trades building the two things there. Yeah. And I agree with these changes, so. I'd like to see us move forward with this. 
Would you care to make a motion? Assuming there are nothing else from commissioners. Sure. Uh, what's the number of it? Uh, 648. 648. Okay. I'd like to um, make a motion that uh, we <coughs> recommend uh, approval uh, for this uh, change for, what is it, zoning amendment? Uh, zoning petition number 648. Zoning petition number uh, 648. I'll second. second. <laughs> <laughs> I have a motion from Commissioner Mayville and a second from Commissioner Broderick to recommend approval of zoning petition number 648 to City Council. Please call roll. Decro? Yes. Mayville? Yes. Payne? Yes. Coy? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. That passes six to zero. That concludes the public hearing portion of our meeting. We have one item under old business, that is conditional use permit number 80. Uh, Mr. Chair, I would just note uh, we did not receive updated plans for this project until today. And as such, in preparation of the packet, we recommended that uh, the Planning Commission um, take action tonight to postpone consideration of this to your next regular meeting, which is on January the 10th. Do you want us to just table it generally, or do you want us to table it to a specific date? <laughs> um, I, would, I would ask you to um, take action to postpone okay. action to January 10, 2023. Any objections? That will enable us to conduct our full internal review. And given the scope of yeah. comments, if you recall at your last meeting, there were some fairly significant mm -hmm. um, identified deficiencies within the original proposed plan. So this will give us an opportunity to fully review the project given it should be significantly modified and make an appropriate recommendation to you on January. Yeah, with no notice of what these are, we need to table this or you okay. know, go to the next meeting. Make a motion for that, a motion or? Yeah, I'll make a motion that we postpone consideration of conditional use permit number 80 to our next meeting on January 10th. A second. We have a, a motion from Commissioner Kohlinger, a second from Commissioner McCoy to table consideration of, or I'm sorry, postpone consideration of conditional use permit number 80 until our next meeting on January 10th. Do you need a roll call or a voice vote? Can do a roll call real quick, Decro. Yes. Mayville? Yes. Bain? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. That passes six to zero. Okay. Any public comments unrelated to items on the agenda? Public comments unrelated to items on the agenda. Uh, any uh, new business from commissioners? Uh, report of the chairperson, I have none. Report of the planning director. I'll keep it really brief. Um, our deadline for January 10th meeting is Friday, so we don't have a completely firm sense of what we'll be in. Um, we're expecting, um, in addition to um, the CUP 80 project, um, we may have another tentative preliminary plat for consideration for a different site um, in the northwest part of Midland. Um, we may have a submittal for detailed plan review for PUD number 19 which if you recall, this is going back a ways. This was for the former Days Inn and uh, Best Western sites mm. on Bay City Road. Um, and then there's a few other things floating out there that um, may, may arrive, but we won't know for sure until we get past Friday. Um, you do not have a special meeting at your next meeting, so we will be convening at seven o'clock on January 10th. On January 24th, we have our next special meeting at six o'clock. We will also that night have a presentation from 
our um, consultant that we're working with on our sustainability and resiliency plan. So some of you, I think, have been engaged in some of the survey work for that plan. Um, we're really excited about what we've seen so far coming out of that, and they're very excited about it. So they'd like to come and present some of the preliminary findings with you at your January 24th meeting. I also just want to give you a heads up that the capital improvement plan um, at this point is we're anticipating that it will come forward to the Planning Commission for consideration and public hearing at your February meetings. So um, that's a little bit different, I think, than the typical schedule. We're trying a slightly modified approach to that to bring something to you that's a little bit more um, fully um, vetted before you're asked to vote on it. And so I'll look for that um, at those two February meetings. Um, beyond that, thank you for hanging in there tonight. <laughs> um, it has not escaped my attention that, um, well, Ryan and I are paid to be here, you are not. And this was a really <laughs> long meeting. Um, had I had any idea that we would have a night like tonight, I certainly wouldn't have scheduled a special meeting in advance of it. But of course, you can't know that in advance. Um, so thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for listening. Um, I know that tempers get hot around um, a lot of things. Um, so I appreciate um, your efforts, not just tonight, but all year round. And I just wish you all a very happy holidays. Yeah. That's all I have. I'll add, I appreciate everyone's uh, conduct, for lack of a better term, this evening as well. So um, obviously had some public comments and uh, appreciated everyone's receptivity to those and continue to ask good questions um, and uh, working together as a group. So. Um, Looking for a final motion. Make a motion to adjourn. I'll second. Motion of Commissioner Decro and a second from Commissioner Broderick to adjourn. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. They are adjourned.